Hey, King Who. Hey, Sleazy K. You like t-shirts. I love them. But ordinary blank t-shirts are boring and for weak and sleazy people, yeah? Um... Say yes. Say yes. Yes. Do you like your t-shirts to have retro movie-themed artwork and stains all over them? Stains? Say yes. Yes. Then hit up shelflifeclothing.com and get your fix and more. Get the stained category free t shirt with the Hong Kong subtitle style grammar, the kaiju t shirt, the wonton western t shirt, the handover t shirt, the destroy all mobsters t shirt. It's all there and more. Designed by our good friend Brian Kirby, who's the man responsible for the intro you're about to hear and the outro you're about to hear at the end of the show during this week in Sleaze. Check him out. Shelflifeclothing.com. Stains. It's This Week in Sleaze with your hosts, King Who and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Has Charlie Cho done any period movies? What kind of period? <laughs> <laughs> any dynasty movies? You know, the, uh, you know the stuff you post on your blog. It looked like you had a, yeah, a whole I, dynasty wigs and all while while getting a blowjob or something. Yeah, yeah I think he's he's, he's done a, a quite a few, but uh, not like the the Shaw brother type movies. Uh, um, they were just uh, period sex pieces, I guess, in the vein of Sex and Zen. You know, following uh, their footsteps. But yeah, he's done some some period stuff. <laughs> cool. <laughs> anyway, hey guys, this is episode two of this week in Sleaze. and we we're, we're already uh, we're already discussing uh, vital stuff <laughs> that goes on in the world of Sleaze. and uh, Charlie Cho is one is one such. By the way, you 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 gotta explain a little bit your fascination with with Charlie. Although we're getting, uh, we'll get, we'll get in deep into Charlie in a later episode. But uh, just briefly, why, why Charlie? You know, I don't know why Charlie, but I could ask the same of the Hong Kong filmmakers: Why Charlie? It's <laughs> just this old, nerdy, lecherous man, and he just gets sweet ass all the time. And I guess maybe it's a, a dream of every kind of nerdy guy to to aspire to be like uh, someone like Charlie Cho. And what does that what does that say about you? Uh not much. Oh lord. <laughs> <laughs> no no deep subtext. <laughs> no deep subtext. Don't don't think too much into it. <laughs> oh, he's uh, he's the image of category three really, so uh but uh, mm-hmm. he won't be popping up too much because he in this episode of This Week in Sleeves because he never really played a vicious murderer as a lead in the movies, uh, but uh, someone else did. And that guy is Simon Yamas we'll speak about uh, later on in the show. But uh, this is, uh, as I said, This Week in Sleaze, part of the Podcast on Fire network. And uh, our contact information, uh, we don't have a specific This Week in Sleaze address. So if you want to email us, it's podcastonfire at googlemail.com. We are active on social media, even though you hate that word, perhaps. We're we, we still active on it. So uh, we're on Twitter at Podcast on Fire is the account for the Podcast on Fire network. My personal uh, account is at so good reviews because I am the writer of sogoodreviews.com and also Sleazy K video is where you find the video reviews posted that are attached to the main written reviews and uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, plug your uh, blog okay. alright my uh, blog bullets over Chinatown is at 
in the mood for guilo.blogspot.com. It's very important, uh, as you said last episode, that oh, Guilo is in this case yes, spelled G W A I L O. Because Hong Kong subtitles have not ever made up their mind about, uh, I guess, uh, what to call them, or how to spell it, or what no. to what to say in English uh, that that expression means. I mean, <laughs> right, right, it's, right. Uh, it's white devil or alien or or maybe they've just written Guaylo or Guaylo yeah, in Guaylo. subtitles. So, or, no, that's I who think it, it's like Ghost Man or something like that. <laughs> that's who we are. <laughs> <laughs> So, at the Podcast on Fire Network, yeah, at podcastonfire.com, you, for a few weeks now, maybe maybe a month, maybe a month and a half, you've seen the new fiery kind of look, and uh, also the convenient buttons that take you to, as of now, the five shows on the Podcast on Fire Network, which is the original Podcast on Fire, the first, uh, like, sub-show, Japan on Fire, where we did a lot of kaiju specials, uh, Godzilla movies and the Gamera movies and what have you. Our audio commentary section called Commentary on Fire I recently started What's Korean Cinema series Which is very enjoyable Even if we're only one episode in As of this recording It's highly enjoyable And last but not least You'll see a picture of Charlie <laughs> Next to a couple of breasts Yes Not not nudity as such But uh, <laughs> he, he's still he's still transfixed by that And it's this week in Sleaze uh, button uh, And who other two represent Sleaze Than Charlie in in illustration and breasts form. and breasts so you know you, you know, can't be subtle about these things sure so we explained during the first show that we intend to cover Hong Kong sexploitation through the ages if you will and uh, we plan to go back to as far back as the 60s because I've gathered that's that's a good starting point there are some there are some standout movies there in terms of first sights of nudity on film and, and it is Shaw Brothers but mm. we are still sticking with kind of the known period of category 3 filmmaking and it is the 90s uh, the period of 90 to 95 circa I think uh, yeah. you can cover a lot about you can cover the rest of the 90s also of course but uh, this is the golden era if you will the new wave well, the first wave, really, of Category 3 <laughs> filmmaking. There's no new wave. There's just uh, the first wave. And there's not been a wave like it since then. And one and one aspect within that wave was the true crime horror flicks that we spoke about, the likes of The Untold Story, but mainly, and the uh, movies that are the subject of discussion. The movie that is the subject of discussion is Dr. Lamb, but it also we have a second movie lined up that is not part of the 90s, but is recently discovered by me really I, I, found mm-hmm. a, I found a download of a 1985 movie called Hong Kong Butcher which is based on the same uh, real life serial killer uh, story crime and uh, this was uh, virtually unknown and uh, I think it's uh, only a fair and a good opportunity for us to highlight the, that very unknown movie and to compare the two stories and how they did uh, versus uh, rea- the reality of it all how, how they did uh, how accurately they uh, portrayed whatever whatever is known about the reality of the crime so let's talk about what is known about the real life serial killer that uh, Simon Yam plays in uh, Dr. Lamb so King what is that to say? Um, well, the majority of the info I was able to find about um, Dr. Lamb or Lamb Gorwan was his uh, actual name it came from uh 
just dribs and drabs over the internet. And I also was able to find a really cool book published in 1991, and I have to give it a shout. It's called Hong Kong Murders by Kate Whitehead. And uh, it contains about 14 chapters, and all of them were based on high-profile cases of murder in Hong Kong. And uh, unfortunately, the chapters are, are brief, and they don't really get into too much background information, not, not too much detail. But um, it's a quick read. It's a, an amusing read. And uh, that being said... What is uh, amusing about it, by the way? It's amusing because, um, well, it's, I say about nine chapters of the, of the book are cases that were made into films. <laughs> so gotcha. when you, re- you when you read the book you and you've seen the film you kind of like knowingly nod your head and smile and you can relate the film to the book mm-hmm. and of course half the film starred Simon Yam <laughs> so uh, like uh, some of the some of the stories were um, made into films uh, Casino Operation Billionaires Big Spender uh, From the Queen to the Chief Ex- Executive yeah that was a good one uh, Tragic Tragic Fantasy The Tiger of Wan Chai. Simon Yam. <laughs> yeah, Simon Yam. Uh, the Legal Innocence Remains of a Woman, that was a chapter. Uh, the Final Judgment, and then a really awesome Category 3 movie uh, called The Rapist by uh, Cha Chun-Yi. Oh, yeah. yeah so a, all, yeah, all those are one. covered in the... Yeah, that's a good one. All those are, are covered in the book. I mean, like I said, it's, they're, they're brief chapters. It's a quick read, not too much detail, but it's, it's, uh, it's amusing. I, I really enjoyed it. And... Um, so I concentrated, you know, pretty much on the Dr. Lamb chapter, or the chapter entitled The Jar's Murderer, wow. which uh, he was also called. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I've seen the book on Amazon for like $3 US used, so you, you, you could do a lot worse. And, uh, all right, uh, I guess we'll get into uh, to Lamb. And um, this, the film actually did a really fine job uh, in covering the real events. Which is really cool to find a, a, a Category 3 film, a, a exploitation film, cover events so, so nicely and neatly. And um, they took their liberties, of course, you know, with some, some crazy drama and some, some fucked up comedy. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was, it was a decent, uh, decent chronicle of the actual events. And um, I'm not going to go into all of the murders and stuff like that because we'll discuss that, you know, during, during the, the film discussion. Mm-hmm. But uh, his first murder occurred on February 3rd in 1982, and it was a, of a 21-year-old manager of the Chinese Palace Nightclub in Chim Sha Choi, and her name was Chan Feng Lan. And um, like I said, I don't want to really go too deep into to the murders. But, but, but essentially, this was also known as the, like, the taxi driver killer. Yeah. Also, so, uh, yeah, or the rainy the, nights killer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um... Over the next year or so, Lamb, you know, he, he studied to perfect his crime. You know, he thought, the fir- he thought the first one was a little bit sloppy. So, I mean, he studied, you know, blades and how they slice and dice, and he acquainted himself with uh, anatomy. So, uh, there's this, you know, there's this, this taxi driver, this working schlub, this uh, lower-class, working-class guy, really just getting into, you know, murder. I mean, he's, like, he's doing research on how to, how to do do things, you know, the correct way. It's, it's, it's pretty eerie. And uh, he was so precise in his method that, you know, after he was caught, a pathologist going over the, the remains that they found, he remarked of, of Dr. Lamb's surgical skill as though it was done by a professional. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, that's crazy. So, uh, yeah, Lamb was a, he was a 27-year-old during this uh, killing spree, and he was still a virgin. So uh, his second victim was a bar girl, like the first one, and uh, 
this was his first uh, kind of roll in the hay. And then, unfortunately, it was uh, necrophilia rolling the hay. Mm. So, you know, he first killed her and then had sex with her. So his first time was with a, uh, 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 his victim, a, a, a dead girl. And, and, and uh, as you said, all of this is also eerily familiar because it's all in the film. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, the film, the, the film did such a good job, you know, it's, it's, uh, for an exploitation film to, to follow the story to, to, almost to a T. An exploitation uh, film that cared. Ex- exactly. <laughs> oh, it, it, it hugs its, uh, yeah. its uh, true crime. Mm-hmm. And um, the third victim was another, another bar girl. Um, and he followed the same routine as he did with the first two victims. He would strangle them with a uh, electric wire, electrical wire. He'd uh, drag them up to his apartment where he lived with his family, and he'd wait for everyone to go to work because he worked overnights, like I do. <laughs> so uh, he'd wait for everyone to go to work the next day, and then he'd roll the girl out and start slicing, dicing, and doing whatever he wa- else he wanted to do. And um, a little background uh, was given in in the book, and. Um, there was testimony from his mother during his trial that really painted um, Lamb as a nervous and lonely child. And he was also abused by his father uh, while growing up in Malaysia. And uh, there was one uh, story that his mom told that his, his father had a really violent temper. And on one occasion just nailed, just pummeled uh, Lamb while he was younger. And uh, he just knocked him unconscious. So he, you know, I mean... There's a history of violence there, and uh, the mom stated that you know the kind of history subsided once the family relocated to Hong Kong. But by that time, Lam was in his teens, and the damage was kind of already done. It's all like the classic traits, or almost. Oh yeah, yeah. Almost like, cliched, but textbook. It, yes, it, exactly. This is what happens. I mean, this is what triggers, can trigger. Uh, right. Certain right. Events. Definitely. And um, his final victim was a 17-year-old girl named Long Wai Sum. And uh, Lamb held her hostage in his taxi for hours and hours, and just like just bullshitting with her, talking to her about life, about family, about religion, about friendship. So, but and, and this went on for hours. So this poor girl, she finally fell asleep around 4 a.m. in the morning, and that's when Lamb strangled her with an electrical cord. And and and, and by the way, listeners, I mean we are absolutely horrified talking about this and listening to this there's nothing wrong with us oh, when we yes. later on in the show say Thank that this you. is close to like an exploitation masterpiece right so you know bear that in mind we're, we're good people yes <laughs> thank you thank you for saying that Ken that little disclaimer I need that <laughs> it makes me feel better about myself oh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as, as we know in the film you know Lamb was interested in photography and he was a, you know, a shithouse filmmaker, so to speak, uh, and he spent thousands of dollars on equipment. And uh, some really cool things about his past, well, I mean, they're sorted. They're cool because they, they uh, add to the character um, in the film, and the film doesn't, doesn't show this. But during the late 70s, um, he got hold of a Polaroid camera, <laughs> and what he would do is he would run into public toilets and stick the camera under stalls snap a picture of a woman going to the bathroom and then hightail his ass out of there. Yeah, so keeps on yeah. getting better and better. Exactly, exactly. So uh, now another nice little uh, true crime reality nugget that the, the film left out, and I thought this was pretty cool. Lamb was a chess geek. He was like fucking Bobby Fischer. 
You know, he, <laughs> you know, while in jail, he had asked one of the uh, one of the detectives if he could go back to his house and retrieve his electronic chess set for him because it was uh, it acted as kind of an escape for him. You know, because it, it calmed his nerves. He was a lonely child to begin with, and this was like his only friend was this uh, electronic chess chessboard. So uh, yeah, he was like Bobby Fisher, man, and I think that's I don't I don't think I've ever touched a chess piece. Wow. And this guy's a, a chess uh, aficionado. Hmm. And it, it's it really uh, also all of these uh, story story strands and story beats kind of dispels the notion that if anyone had the notion that this was just um, ripped from the headlines type of story, right? That that's absolutely not the case. This is maybe one of the few that actually went ahead and like provided all the public detail that was available and put it in one film rather than. You know, I have a feeling the likes of Run and Kill is probably one of those uh, ripped from the headlines kind of stories. I might be wrong, but I just have a feeling that, you know, they saw something about a very terrible event. Okay, write a script. It and, has that and, feel, right, yeah. And, and and let's get Simon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they did. It has that feel. <laughs> and Danny Lee. Yes. Yeah, so it, it does have that feel, definitely. And, uh, all right, uh, another, another cool thing was he had all these films developed. You know, we take pictures of the, the dismembered bodies and all this carnage and he'd have them developed and when you're watching the film you're like how did he not get caught you know how did the, the, the developer not see this you know right away mm-hmm. and notify police well there was a time that the the lab technician pulled him aside and, and asked him about you know what the hell is this shit you know what is all this dis- the dismembered body parts and the pics that he was developing and L- Lamb lied and told him he was a university lab technician and the photos were for medical research and that satisfied the photo guy. And he's like, "All right, you got it. If you say so." Yeah, yeah. You put you you put put in a spot there. Yeah. You know, to you know, is it worth alerting the police of uh, of a hunch only? Right. And a lot of times you see in these movies that no one wants to bother with the police. You know, oh, I didn't see anything. You know, don't ask me. I no, I don't know anything. Hmm. So I, I, it's it's possibly you know the the same thing. And um, Lamb was finally caught as we see it in the beginning of the movie, on August 17th, 1982, and uh, during interrogation, uh, he told the police that he felt no guilt about what he had done, and he only felt sorry for his last victim, Lung Wai Sun, the 17-year-old girl, mm-hmm. and he even shed a few tears over her. So, uh, he, and uh, during the trial, it was, a, it was an all-male jury, I think seven, it was a seven-member trial, mm-hmm. and uh, on April 8th, 1984, he was sentenced to death, uh, he was found guilty on all four counts of murder, and uh, he was sentenced to death by hanging. And on August 29th of 1984, his sentence was commuted to life imprisonment, and uh, he's serving his life sentence at Shekpik Prison. But uh, what was really cool about the, the trial is that um, the male jury was picked because the evidence included hundreds of exhibits and hours and hours of this nasty-ass video. Yeah. And... The, the judge deemed it too disturbing for a woman's eyes. So that's why the all-male jury was picked. Yeah, was, uh, I guess in the Hong Kong justice system, they otherwise try and mix it up that way to try, you know, uh, not necessarily 50-50 male and females. Probably do, sure. But, uh, but, but normally that, that will probably be the intent. Oh, sure, sure. But, uh, wow, it's... Uh, I don't know if it's the most known serial killer case in Hong Kong, but it certainly is, uh, it should be one that people remember. I think it's I the think. first. The first really? serial killer, yeah, he was the first. 
and uh, that's entirely memorable. And then it became memorable in a film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though we're going to talk about the newest of the two movies first, because that's the uh, that's a more known movie, the Doctor mm-hmm. Lamb movie. But uh, we'll move on to 1992 and the filmmakers that had the idea of let's do Lamb story on okay. film. Now that we have a category three rating to work <laughs> with, we can do Lamb story. And uh, boy, did they ever! But uh, I, I, I want to start with you know it is to to start talking about Danny Lee right away. But I don't think he deserves to be spoken of first. I think the director, the co-director rather, mm-hmm. Billy Tang, uh, who people might know as Billy Bloody Tang. Yeah, uh, that's not his Chinese name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, w- what is there to say about Billy Tang? A really fine director, in my opinion. Well, again, like the uh, Dr. Lamb case, there's really not much information or, or good background information on Billy. So, from what I, what I can call from the, the, the internet, uh, I found his earliest film credit was uh, as an actor in a Cheng Che Shaw Brothers film. And I don't know if this is true, but the, the film was from 1974. It was called Shaolin Martial Arts. And I don't know how true that is, but I saw it somewhere. I thought I'd throw it in the show. And it was on the internet, therefore it's true. There, it's, it's true, yes. <laughs> it's now a fact on the internet. <laughs> but from then on, that was 1974, but from then on, he disappeared. You know, I, I mean, I assume he kicked around the industry in, in, in some capacity, but uh, I, I, there's no information. To, I don't know where he went. I took the, the liberty to ask uh, Mike Leader if he knew anything, and, and essentially... Oh, cool. No, no, he didn't know anything, but ah. essentially I think he was there, uh, came up, through the Danny Lee, Danny Lee uh, stable of talent uh, as an assistant director and eventually director, but that, that's not a whole lot of information either. Mm. That would make sense. Yeah. Uh, the, his next credit was, uh, I think, 1988, uh, Vengeance is Mine. I, I've read that, but I don't think it's true, actually. Uh, yeah, uh, I've seen different uh, conflicting uh, uh, things, and I, I, w- I wasn't sure. I mean, the main director has always been Lee Chin Ai. Yes, yes. The, 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 the more mellowed out uh, UFO director. Yes, the, yes. Lost, uh, lost and Found. So I've read that in a few places, but I don't think Maybe it's Maybe it was a, in a co-director true. capacity? Because Vengeance yeah. is Mine is more of a, of a Billy Tang type of movie. Hell yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, not even character free, though. I think uh, it's no. one of those vicious, like, 2B fucking yeah. films that, like, abuses Rosman Kwan <laughs> and... Uh, yeah. Within yeah. the 2B rating, it's like holy. Yeah, but but, uh, but 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 he did go to America for his first known credit, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. It was a Dragon Fight, and I think that was 1988 as as well. And that, of course, starred Jet Li and Stephen Chow, and, and Dick Wei uh, and Nina Lee, and it was. Uh, did you like it? It was okay. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I I liked it as an action film. Jet Li moved well, and the fights were pretty cool. It's not done by a director. It's like, ooh, look at that voice developing. Right, right. <laughs> but it but, was just but, a, 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 a like a run of the mill action film. But not bad, actually. It's still Jet Li trying to search for a voice. Stephen Chow trying to search for a voice, and it's just pretty good. Eighties fun shot in yeah, what yeah. was it, San Francisco? San Francisco, yes. Yes, so, and actually, if I can do an aside, on, on my blog, I took a picture of uh, an area where in the film there was a, a pretty cool like bullet-like car chase scene. It was in Chinatown. They just went through uh, a quickly in the film. I took a, a snapshot of the intersection that one of the cars uh, rambled down. So that was, that was pretty cool, yeah. 
And surely done with all the permits. Uh, oh, sure, is. I'm sure, yeah. We don't have a permit for this scene. What we're going to do it anyway. I think that's <laughs> yeah. probably the Hong Kong way. That's very Hong Kong, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so uh, after a dragon fight, uh, Tang went into television briefly. And um, this is where it gets kind of interesting. He uh, directed a few TV programs for the Hong Kong Criminal Archives television series in the early 90s. And uh, this series... Um, produced a show about Dr. Lam. And Dr. Lam was played by Simon Yam in this television show. And Billy Tang was one of the producers on, the, on, on this particular show. He didn't direct the show, but he was a producer on this particular uh, Dr. Lam episode. And uh, I guess it's quite possible that, you know, from this program, that's where Yam and, and, and Tang hooked up uh, for the idea to, to do a film on uh, Dr. Lam. It was called the, the episode Female Butcher. Yes, Female Butcher. So, uh, Jaws, Killer, Taxi, Driver Killer, Hong Kong Butcher, Female Butcher, female butcher Dr. Yeah. Lamb. <laughs> so, uh, you know, decide. Decide. <laughs> what do you want to call him? But, yeah. Yeah, so. But uh, in, in terms of, like, uh, you know, we we are going to go more in deep on, on Billy Tang's subsequent career after Dr. Dr. Lamb, but still, what's, like, your general thought of his run of movies, even his non-category free material. Um, he's one of my favorite directors, and I'm I'm sad that uh, he's just gone. He's like really gone with the wind. You know, um, even his non-category three films, they had uh, this this ah, this this energy, this flavor. It always uh, had this this really cool look to them. Kind of dirty, kind of uh, of, of dingy. Um, one of my favorite non-category three films of his was a. Um, a young and dangerous ripoff called Street of Fury. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like almost like a tongue-in-cheek play on Young and Dangerous, and it it really looks fucking cool. And it's it's just it's it's two B has some it pushes the envelope a little with the with the two B. I mean, there's there's no nudity, but there's just there's a nasty edge to it, and there's also some goofy comedy. Uh, and triad, so obviously the two the two was already secured. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. And would it be 2A or 2B? Well, that's up to Billy Tang to sign. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, after his Category 3 uh, spell, you know, you know ended, um, he, his, his films weren't, uh, I guess, as noted as uh, his three or four or five uh, Category 3 films. Hmm. And, I mean, this was a, maybe the, the mid-90s, you know, and that's when the, the Hong Kong industry was starting to tank. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, you know, it's it's just his his films start to get worse and worse. I'm not I don't want to say worse that they were bad films, but there's really little money behind them. Um, uh, the production values kind of went in the toilet a bit. Um, but they they were still to me because he was Billy Tang, and the Billy Tang that I that I loved, I still got a kick out of his films. Like Haunted Karaoke and Dial D for Demons. I, I really dug those two. They should yeah. have worked. But uh, I, I actually <laughs> found Haunted Karaoke to be kind of amusing. Yeah, it was. It was. And uh, and Dial D for Demons is uh, this very... Uh, also shouldn't work. It's like you fucking horror with uh, pretty people. But yes. it's kind of atmospheric and tense too. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and visually interesting. Uh, it was one of those uh, sleeper hits kind of thing. Right, right. But, but, but with a stupid English title like that, you know, it's uh, <laughs> pretty much epic fail beforehand if, you, if you're not uh, a Hong Kong cinema fan like uh, some of us are, like who watches every, every movie and gives it a chance, I guess. But, uh, right. I, th- I think those were also Golden Harvest films. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. 
And there was another cool film that he did for Golden Harvest um, in maybe 2000 around called Sharp Guns, an action oh, film. Oh, yeah, that I dug. That I, was one wow, of Wow, that was great. Fun, fun, yes, fun. Yes, yeah. Not a pretentious uh, pretentious action movie at all, just a movie where we're going to have fun now. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, boy, without he doesn't need to work with a free to get the males reacting and right. I, i'm not talking about nudity i'm talking about Anya. yeah good lord yeah i mean but that 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 was like a really hard to be you know that that was like scraping category three <laughs> yeah i gotta make a dent in the to be <laughs> armor and look and peek a little bit into the free but then close it up right right exactly and he also made some other uh, like sexy and dangerous which i i wasn't into at all Oh, I, I actually dug that, but but it's all due to Francis Mercedes, uh, well, playing a playing a triad loser, mm-hmm. and uh, and and seeing Billy Tang's prior uh, cast members, uh, Lily Lily um, and Ben, um, no, no, uh, Lily Chung and Lily Ben, Chung, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just fun to see them outside being violated and being the violator, <laughs> especially after the the abuse and assault that the Red to Kill is uh, featuring oh, those yeah. two actors. Oh, jeez. But that... I, I, I pretty much agree, and uh, I, I'm actually going to put you slightly on the spot before oh, discussing uh, my thoughts on Billy Time, because since he makes the kind of hard movies that he does, it's the question comes up, why we, and a lot of people, like harsh looking and feeling exploitation that is clearly wrong on so many levels but it, it's it's a question that comes up the the other people that are not uh, into it that, that basically are wondering you know what's wrong with you people right, are right. getting abused and all that so but uh, <laughs> but but in short what was what draws you to you know the the hard and gory exploitation in in this vein um, I'm I'm not really sure because I'm not a horror film fan at all, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not a, an American B movie film person. I'll I'll watch a few, but you know, in passing, um, it's it's hard it's hard to say. I'm I'm a film fan uh, first and foremost. I was into all types of film before I got into Hong Kong cinema, so I was used to seeing just everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I watch you know cartoons, I watch animation stuff, and I watch adult stuff you know I, I run the gamut you know I just wanted I just wanted to see everything yep so um, I and I, I don't know what it is I mean these stories are real especially the, the true crime ones we're talking about mm. you know they say truth is stranger than fiction this stuff is is, is real this stuff actually happened um, uh, unfortunately this stuff is part of everyday life there's there's gore there's sex there's nudity it's, it's, it's everywhere you know mm-hmm. and uh, part of I guess us um, as a culture, we're we're kind of voyeuristic, you know. Why why else are we watching these these films? Yeah, you know. So I mean, I I guess that's some type of answer, you know. Maybe not the best answer, but it it, it is difficult. I mean, and I've always struggled. And and uh, when I got the question on Formspring recently, why do you guys like to watch pseudo rape scenes mm-hmm. so much? Uh, it's a valid question. I didn't feel attacked at all, but it's. I answered uh, to really to quote myself. It's not necessarily about like to watch these right. kind of movies okay, or yeah. enjoy to watch these kind of movies. Right, right. For, but also, I I'm also a film fan, and I like to just turn off my brain and avoid any moral thinking because it's only a movie I'm watching, and yes. I, I I don't lose my humanity 
you know, exposing myself to extreme horror, be it based on reality or based or not based on realities. Mm-hmm. Because after all, Doctor Lamb, to, to to briefly discuss discuss it before we really discuss it, it's not a movie that you react to joyously. <laughs> right, right. You react in a horrible fashion. You are I, I anyway. I am disturbed and unsettled, but I, in some way, want cinema to be ext- an extreme experience sometimes mm-hmm. whether it involves gore or rape or comedy I mean it's, it's, it's a mood I want a mood and I'm fascinated by how cinema can push buttons how you know m- making a movie you know as a filmmaker on set how that can translate into something so extreme and so harsh on film that, that's fascinating how filmmaking happens you know mm-hmm. the making of a film like especially the Billy Tang movies I'm, I, I would have loved to have seen like what went on on the set of Red to Kill oh. because it's such I mean it's, there's nothing like it and it will, will, it's such will, a mean movie yeah. it's a mean 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 movie and uh, but pulling out this quote I think puts people in the right mind and will make they will understand you a bit better too and it's a quote from a review of Billy Tang's Run and Kill posted on the now uh, silent Hong Kong cinema view from the Brooklyn Bridge website mm. which I always quote as an inspiration for me yeah it's a good my, one uh, my site personally because they reviewed uh, much uh, obscure stuff including yeah. uh, uh, Billy Tang's movies and the quote is from actually the book Sex and Sand and, Bullet in the, and a Bullet in the Head and it goes after all try and explain the plot of the Silence of the Lambs to someone who hasn't seen the film, then explain why you liked it, then explain why it won a truckload of Oscars. Yeah. It's movies, man. And yeah. it's it's about... I don't know. It, it It's hard to continue speaking about it because then I'll just get com- confused because it's such a hard hard answer to provide. But I think I did my best anyway. I, I, I want extreme experiences and I don't want, though, you know... Um, Robert, I, I, I don't get numb by all this stuff. Uh, I think that's yeah, the comfort also. Uh, I spoke to a friend recently who had seen like a, a short video clip of someone just doing this experiment on on uh, on a few uh, young people who like to watching gore movies and stuff. They show these, I, I assume, uh, guys, males, mm-hmm. a scene of someone uh, for real uh, putting a gun to his head and blowing his brains out. Mm-hmm. And of course they react strongly and feel so nauseous and feel so you know they, they, their humanity comes out immediately <laughs> sure. so, so I think you know there's never an easy answer to that question why do we like it I like cinema as you do and uh, right. and, and, and uh, Dr. Lamb running Killer Red to Kill that's part of my love for cinema uh, and, and it's not real it's uh, no, no. Uh, exploitation as uh, it's not uh, something Hong Kong came up with either no. <laughs> you know right. so and, and it still goes on obviously and uh, some of the more recent uh, one of the most recent examples of uh, a movie that you know if you're trying to discuss it with people you'll probably get basically a beating and it's the movie a Serbian film which is very notorious for a couple of things I won't discuss because it probably won't <laughs> we, we will lose an audience but uh, <laughs> it's it's one of those films that pushes the envelope uh, uh, envelope possibly way too hard because it's also a fucking pretentious film oh, it, it tries to be via its extreme violence it tries to be 
you know, uh, a comment on the Serbian government raping the people. Oh, of course. Uh, of course. So it's like, no, I'm not watching that because I think that <laughs> analogy sucks. That symbolism sucks. <laughs> make, you know, decide to make a movie and make that movie. Don't be all important about it because you aren't. Right. I mean, I, I watched, I, I, I talked about this on a prior uh, podcast on fire. I watched uh, Irreversible a few months ago, a French mm-hmm. movie. I saw that years uh, ago, yes, yeah. And if they... I don't mind the backwards thing that it uh, plays out in backwards, mm-hmm. uh, but the thing that pissed me right the fuck off was the very end. The director put a quote on screen: "Time destroys everything." Oh lord! I was like, "You <laughs> did a rape revenge movie. You even said in an interview that you did a rape revenge movie. Why did you decide to be important all of a sudden? Because you are not. Pussied out, yeah. You are absolutely not important at all, and uh, that." single quote on screen destroyed the movie for me <laughs> you know you turn contentious after making a you know, very tough to watch genre movie and that's right. all it was and it could have been and brilliant I don't I don't mind uh, some pretentious films I don't mind artsy farty movies you know I'm, I, I can get into that I can get on board on a case to case basis I should say yeah well. yeah you know but why can't uh, you know I mean this, this sounds crass but why can't a rape and murder just be a rape and murder yes you know, it sounds, yeah. it sounds terrible. It sounds terrible to say, but oh man! But really, why? Why just? Why? Why dress it up? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so don't watch Irreversible, people. Or, or do, <laughs> or do and decide for yourself. Huh? I don't care. I'm never watching it again. Uh, but anyway, back to Billy Bloody Tank, which mm-hmm. uh, is a tag that is deserved, but not fully fair at all. Just like Herman Yao got to be some kind of Hong Kong gore father based on two movies when he, in reality, has made a bunch of diverse movies throughout the years. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but what are you going to do when only a few movies reaches the West and all they are exposed to are (laughs) those rather than exposed to From the Queen to the Chief Executive, which is not a Herman Yao Hong Kong gore father type of movie. But... uh, you know, I, I'm 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 totally on board with uh, the, the love for Billy Tang, who's who's rightfully you know a notorious filmmaker based on the filmmaking skills. I think he had visual skills. Oh, definitely. And uh, I he had a thing for pushing the buttons how how to portray the extreme and gory on film in such an unflinching way within the category three rating. Some of the violence in his movies is cut, including mm-hmm. in Doctor Lamb. But I think he had a talent of making on. Fairly cheap exploitation look rather good and classy, it, cla- classy even. And it, yeah. I mean, and it also involves that great team of him and his cinematographer Tony Mew, mm-hmm. and also the composer Jonathan Wong. I'll, that's like a trio of that they were hungry and they made sure a movie like Doctor Lamb really looked way above average than mm-hmm. co- compared to the movies before and since. And uh, <laughs> obviously. People have said that Billy Tank was an angry director, and uh, yeah, you can you, you can you can see that. But uh, mm. I, I'm not totally on board with. Um, you know, <laughs> I read a really good blog by Grady Hendrix. But, oh, I was going to mention that too. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad you brought it up. Yes, and, and it's excellent blog, Grady. I, yes. I, I totally dug it. But I, I I don't see the depth and the anger and the uh, resentment about 1997 and all of that, despite the bar right. in Run and Kill being called 1997, and that's fine. I think it's sufficient to to think of himself as a, a very good director in terms of the extreme. Sure. But I think, you know, a lot of it, it's, he's socially conscious because these stories aren't just about being extreme. They're put in, in a context of um, uh, this social consciousness of maybe, you know, 
I, like you said, 1997, yeah, it was getting close. People were a little bit, you know, scared and freaking out. But you're also, he's, he, the stories that he's portraying um, are about working class people. They're about a certain uh, environment, a certain type of person or type sure. of people sure. in, in like one of the most crowded areas in the world. You know, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of crap and a lot of shit comes with that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he was a socially conscious filmmaker and not just a gorehound. Having said that, I think uh, I should state that I see that, but I don't take it with me, and mm-hmm. and, and that means also I, I I'm not dismissing it. You know, right, I, right. Th- th- that's why it was so refreshing reading that blog by by Grady. Ah, that's 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 cool that someone look at looked at Billy Tang and extracted all of those valid things from it. But I personally don't see that and take it with me and uh, and I still have a great experience I don't feel like I'm mm-hmm. you know uh, missing out or dismissing an important aspect of the filmmaker you know what I mean sure sure I some I do I do extract that from the movie um it, not not all the time because like I said why can't a rape and murder just be a rape and murder but on occasion I do I do look for that I do look for this this subtext there's there's got to be some some type of reasoning even why a murder and a rape occurs sure sure you know I, I, I need something you know uh, on occasion, <laughs> you know, yeah, not just turn my mind off all the time, but I, I do, especially with uh, Billy Tang's uh, Category Three films, uh, like Red to Kill. You know, we'll talk. I'm sure we'll get to. Mm-hmm. That's just a disgusting, nasty movie. How could you fucking like that movie? But there is something social about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's also the setting also allows for that thinking. Uh, the setting in the um, oh, yeah. for, for for the mentally uh, retarded or however the whatever the proper term is. Sorry, huh? mm-hmm. mentally uh, challenged. Mentally challenged. Sorry. Yes. But uh, <laughs> man, uh, it's uh, you're, you're right, and I I think I have that a little bit closer to my to my con you know conscious mind mm-hmm. now that I'm looking at the movies again. Like, is there something? commented on that is worth now for me to extract because again if I watched the movie 10 years ago and watched it now I may look at it totally differently and uh, it might yes. be the case when I revisit uh, his and kill and two kill <laughs> movies mm-hmm. uh, because I haven't seen uh, those in a few years uh, but uh, like you said I, I think his filmography is rather even even though he wasn't working with the category 3 rating all the time uh, I I. St- Still not seen Streets of Fury because the DVD went out of print and all that, but I'm sure you have it somewhere. I have it in every format. Every format, I was about to <laughs> and, and say. And the poster. I have 10 laser discs of it now. <laughs> uh, but uh, and I really dig Sex and Dangerous, one of those cheap looking, young and dangerous kind of knockoffs, but only with mm. girls, I guess. Uh, I guess How that about was Street Angels? Did you see Street Angels? Street Angels was, uh, was fun. I like that. Simon Yam has fun in that Yes, role. I enjoyed that one. <laughs> And, uh, wow. Suchi, Suchi's in it, yeah? And Ching Mi Yao Wow, as Stu likes to say here on the show. But, uh, and, and even the latter movies, I think the latest feature movie did was Devil Touch. Yes. Which, which I, I thought was, was quite solid and still has, he had a visual, you know, class about him still. I wouldn't say style because it's not like he does, you know, a lot of colored filters and slow motion and sweeping camera mm-hmm. moves and all that just good looking movies man and uh, so, so I think it's a shame that he's uh, is still not around but uh, I heard a little Tweety Bird whisper that <laughs> you knew basically from from a trusted source uh, where he is now where is Billy Tang now okay. 
this past summer, I was at the New York Asian Film Festival, and a good friend of mine, Simon Yam, happened to be there, and uh, <laughs> he was there trumpeting his film, Echoes of the Rainbow, but uh, a few times I, I did run into him, you know, and uh, one time, to make a long story short, I was asking him to sign my copy of Run and Kill, and, and as he was signing the... And he the, slapped you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you like that movie? <laughs> well, he, he looked at the DVD, and he said, Run and Kill? Like, he questioned it. <laughs> And I was like, oh, God, the that's not a good title is fucked up movie 14. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as he was signing it, I asked him, like, whatever happened to Tang Hing Singh? And he uh, told me that he was directing TV in the mainland. So, I mean, that, that put that puppy to rest uh, to, as to where, he, where uh, Billy Tang was at. But I thought that was awesome, getting that answer from Yam. That was yeah. really cool. That was like a highlight of the festival for me. I mean, and uh, he'd done so many movies with him. Okay, Simon Yama's done many movies with everyone. <laughs> Everybody. But, uh, but uh, still, you know, uh, I don't Uh-oh. think he disliked necessarily working with uh, with Billy Tang because there's no sign whatsoever of Simon phoning in his performance. No way. He, he, rather, he was allowed to have a lot of fun and exercise, uh, maybe a lot of demons, and <laughs> go for it. I mean, uh, that's what's so memorable about Street Angels and also uh, Dr. Lamb. Uh, did you ever see Wild? Yes, I actually saw Wild. I think you you pointed me toward Wild, and um, that might be his most pretentious film. Yes, that was artsy fartsy, and I just was not on board with it. It it also pushed the two B limit. You know, it it did. There wasn't you know nudity, but there was. It was very sexual. It happened to be violent, but it was artsy fartsy shit, and I really could not get on board with it. I remember liking it, but not in more than a solid way. I guess I was just happy to see it, and I thought I didn't really like it or dislike it as such. Uh, but I remember it being like, I don't mind this visual ride. I think it's a visual ride only, and I don't particularly mind it. Mm-hmm. I always remember it because it was another case of when it was released in the UK. Guess what rating they put on uh, that fucking tape? Of course. Tape. Were there Free? 20 of them? 20, 20 category 3 symbols on the box? Probably. And, uh, <laughs> and there, was, there was nothing, uh, no, no, no Francois Yip nudity. Uh, well, no. That, that, that never ha- happened, obviously. But, uh, but I didn't mind it, and I like, I like to have it. Uh, uh, Streets of Fury, I'm really looking forward to, because uh, he, he can be funny. Sex and Dangerous, in my mind, was funny. Again, mainly due to Francis. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think that movie would have tanked uh, horribly. And... Listeners, if you ever watch Sex in Dangerous and look at the end fight between uh, Francis and Ben, think of that and compare it to the Young Master. Okay. I, there's, there's, to me, similarities to that you know eternal fight where like the underdog just keep on pushing and pushing and pushing mm-hmm. and gets so <laughs> viciously beat up and in the end wins. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I wish it was like that, and to me, it will be like that when I watch the movie. But uh, if you ever see Sex and Dangerous, think of the young master during the end. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch that later on. Actually. Yeah, I'll whip that out. I'll check that out again. And uh, I, I would love to compare Ben mm, to Wang In Sik. I think it's very apt because they are both <laughs> big presences in a way. Ben is uh, well. We'll we'll definitely talk about the bigness of uh, Ben oh, on uh, on screen. That's uh, red to kill. He's a, he's a scenery chewer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that leads us very neatly into uh, someone who's uh, not chewed scenery, but uh, kind of uh, he's, he's, been, he's been on screen a lot in the same manner. And I, of course, am talking about Danny Lee. <laughs> Lisa. <laughs> yeah. 
if you didn't know that from my vague segue, that that's it. That's <laughs> Danny Lee. We're talking about Danny Lee, and he's he's very uh, relevant to this discussion because he was one of the uh, he was the producer, but it was not his production company. I think it was Ken Cheng's production company that did mm-hmm. Doctor Lab, but he did produce it. He did. Uh, co-directed with Danny Lee. He's listed as director and Billy Tang is associate director but uh, if you're a Hong Kong cinema fan you know that's uh, co- yeah. uh, or was it executive director on the print? <laughs> it's just so, so confusing executive. sometimes but uh, you, you can definitely s- probably see which portions were directed by Danny Lee and Dr. Lam and what, mm-hmm. what portions were directed by Billy Tang and uh, and Danny Lee directed the cop sections in my opinion and uh, no wonder he, he he's the man who plays cop sure Lisa, as you said, Lisa. and uh, he's an actor and filmmaker, obviously. But uh, he spent his early career at Shaw Brothers, who had him appearing in uh, cult classics, really, as uh, such as Bruce Lee and I playing Bruce Lee, the Mighty Peking Man, <laughs> Oily Maniac, and also, of course, the Shaw Brothers' terrific answer to the Japanese superhero movies and the Japanese superhero shows, Inframan or Super Inframan. And uh, that's just wonderful, wonderful movie. And Danny Lee is in for a man. I haven't but, seen it. Oh man, you! I have the VCD too. I have the the Celestial VCD, and I have I just haven't seen it. I think uh, James Rolfe, uh, aka the Angry Video Game Nerd, he did um, he did his uh, marathon of um, uh, movie reviews, monster movie reviews, and he he reviewed Inframan. And uh, one of the most common words used in the review set to images was boom 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 <laughs> boom just stuff blows up in a very in a variety of ways in Inframan just hell a lot of fun uh, but ultimately cops and robbers flicks and crime flicks was the calling mm-hmm. for Lee who who wanted to be a cop at one point but uh, really it said that it at that time it would have meant uh, having quite quite a decreased salary compared to whatever job he was doing mm-hmm so so, he, so it's not like he was turned down or anything he just didn't venture into that career uh, but on screen he did and he went on a, this tear of acclaimed and award winning movies as director and actor mainly Law with Two Faces uh, which is uh, P-H-A-S-E-S mm-hmm. not Faces uh, and he won the Hong Kong Film Award for Best Actor for that one uh, he appeared in The Law Enforcer, Cop of the Town, and also played a cop in the rich and famous tragic hero uh, gangster saga with uh, Chai Fat, Andy Lau, and uh, Alex Mann. But most notably, obviously, he played a cop in uh, John Woo's The Killer vs. Uh, Chai mm. Fat, and, uh, which is still a very memorable uh, performance uh, in this very melodramatic movie, but still a very memorable uh, performance. And he went on to produce more extensively during the 90s under his uh, Magnum production uh, banner. And uh, naturally, again, a lot of cop procedural and cops and robber flicks were on his agenda. But also his personal agenda when it came to portraying how you squeeze information out of suspects <laughs> was very evident. Obviously, this is not an original stance at all. You, you no, see this no. in movies all the time. But it's kind of funny to see how far... Danny Lee takes his uh, thoughts on this uh, process of interrogating, especially in twists. Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> which is a uh, kind of a great black comedy in a way. That, yeah. uh, and, and I, I'm going to give you examples of what he do, does to, well, not he, but his band of cops. Danny was very careful, I think, to not 
do all the messed up stuff himself. Well, it was we, always cop, we, cops no, we, we cops have no time for farts. That's uh, <laughs> one, of, one of his lines from the film. Exactly. <laughs> but this like twist, uh, he, he tries to get information out of Simon Yam and Suki Kwan. And they get, uh, let's say, wa- water treatments. <laughs> uh, one, him, gets a hose um, round up his ass and the water turned on. And she is put into this uh, air-conditioned room, hugely air-conditioned room. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has water thrown all, o- all over her body in slow motion. <laughs> so Danny Lee, I, we probably had an agenda and he, he thought like, this is how I would have liked to have done as a cop or this is how you do. How, how you interrogate people, <laughs> not just by pu- putting a thick uh, phone catalog and uh, smashing a hammer over it against the suspect's uh, chest. Twist yeah. was the movie that took uh, took uh, the means up to uh, up a level, up a notch. And it, it's a it's a pretty remarkable movie in its own right. Actually, uh, uh, I'm, I'm I'm willing to uh, make that a focus during this series of because oh, I, cool. I I cool. need to rewatch that movie. I think I wasn't quite on board with it. Yeah, I rewatched it a few months ago. I did. Uh-huh. Yeah, I loved it. Oh. <laughs> I like. I love revisiting these old ones. Yeah, exactly. I watch so much, you know, shit. <laughs> but yeah. I just love re- revisiting the, you know, the really good ones. Uh, d- despite us talking about it the way we do, that movie is still like a bit cl- more classier than most of the low-budget category three movies. They, they oh, were yeah. some of the better-made ones, and the ones that had better talent. Oh yeah, and, um, obviously. But. Um, Jumping ahead a little, uh, Danny Lee um, does occasional movies nowadays as an actor. He uh, appeared in Fatal Move, the uh, Dennis uh, Law Herman Yao produced uh, movie that uh, we talked about on a prior podcast that I got really mad about. I haven't seen it and I never will. I still am mad about that. Uh, and not mad about that movie, mad at that movie. Two hours. Yeah, that's uh, the approaching Korean cinema. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, so Playboy, Playboy Cops was a lot better. I, I actually liked that. <laughs> Despite being a Jingle Ma movie, I did like Playboy Cops. Oh. I, I, I did. It was fun. I, 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 I'm, I'm into Sean Yu. I think Sean Yu is one of the best actors Hong Kong has right now. Jingle Ma can go... F- Normally he can go fuck himself. Normally can go fuck himself. But <laughs> yeah. Playboy Cops was one of his better ones because it was violent. But... Um, you you have to bear with it and stick with it yeah, to yeah. discover the violence. So I, I gave it a I gave it a slight thumbs up. Uh, and finally, he's in. I'm looking forward to seeing this. Regardless, in he's in Ivy Ho's second movie as director, Crossing Hennessy. Mm, I did see that. Right, it's a yes. large role, or supporting role. Or? It's a supporting role. Cool. Is yeah. It, any good? Oh sure, sure. Everybody's good. It's a it's a it's a more of a low key uh, comedy drama, but uh, it's it's very good. Cool. It's recommended definitely. What's your general take on, on Danny Lee and his place in Hong Kong cinema? I love Danny Lee. <laughs> Danny Lee is okay with me. Um, yeah, uh, the police, uh, cops and robbers type movie is my favorite uh, Hong Kong cinema genre, I guess, or subgenre. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't, he's like, a, I guess you can compare him to John Wayne. John Wayne always played a cowboy. Danny Lee always played a cop. It was always kind of the same straight face type, you know, he, he was the cool one in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. while like his cohorts, you know, they beat the shit out of suspects. He sat there and you know, in the background with his hands in his pockets. He's just—he's a cool cat. He's still cool owned. He's still owned that yeah. particular part of the well, owned the entire room, really. Yeah, yeah. He's—he's he's a strong presence. He's a definitely strong. And even like in his category three, three days, you know, he—he he was still strong. And I—I I think he's great. Have you ever sat through all the unsubbed stuff he shot on video? The, not uh, all of the, it. No, right. not all of it. Do, do they have any anything despite the lack of subs and shot on video 
Or are they cheap, embarrassingly cheap stuff? Yeah, they're embarrassingly cheap. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're just they're retreads of, of uh, classier productions or police procedural productions. Hmm. You know, they're just cheap. They're just you know, shot on the cheap. And I, 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 I don't, I'm sorry, I, I just, I don't know what, what audience is, uh, it's intended for, uh-huh. you know, I, I just, I don't know where, if, where he wanted to, to sell these, uh, to show these, I, I, I never got it, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it was just to make a quick buck, I, I, I see him losing money on that investment, <laughs> you know. Yeah, despite uh, lowering titles like Portrait of a Serial Rapist, that's, yeah. that's not necessarily maybe the best movie. But uh, yeah. I have seen some good examples. Again, I, I mentioned uh, Hard Touching, but I also saw mm-hmm. a movie I think he produced, maybe appeared in Shoot to Kill. One yes, of the few okay. movies I saw without subtitles because it worked really well. It's a, an early role for Nick Jung. Mm-hmm. And it's violent as hell. Yeah, I've, I've uh, heard that. I've heard that. It's, it's, I, um, I don't have, I mean, I do have it, but I haven't seen it. But I did hear that it was. Uh Good, like you said, yeah, and unsubbed. You know, people did watch it unsubbed and still gave it a positive review. Yeah, you you, you get the beats, and I I managed to squeeze out a review of it, a small one, but still, I mean, you you still get the beats, and uh, I was probably pleased with it. So uh, there, there are some some ones you can't watch, but uh, <laughs> rather, I mean, uh, I'm I'm like you as well. I I like him as a comfort player in Hong Kong cinema. It's fun seeing a character so willingly typecasting himself, mm-hmm. but doing it well. You know. Uh, uh, I wasn't at all times a fan of him being like forcefully trying to be the moral center of the story. Mm. You know, there, there are certain movies I'm thinking like, oh my cops, which is a very <laughs> shit early 80s movie. He comes in at the end, it's like, and now for the moral of the story, like fucking Jerry Springer sitting down at the end of the show. This is what we learned today, kids. <laughs> Just because he played the superior in the movie, mm-hmm. you know, the chief cop and all that. But uh, he, Danny is a compelling actor. He really is. And, and also a compelling producer, especially when venturing outside this comfort zone of his. Uh, because, uh, you know, City on Fire, his co-starring role mm-hmm. with uh, Chai yeah. Fat, that's not a typical Danny Lee-ish role. No, no, he's a robber. That's a dark movie too, huh? Yeah. And uh, also producing one of my favorite movies, the quirky... Island set murder mystery the case of the cold fish yes that was very good that Michael, was oh, very, Michael Wong oh. Michael Wong good. being the butt of many jokes and <laughs> willingly taking it that's why I love Michael Wong I, I think he's a wonderful actor when, so when, when allowing people to just take pot shots at him because mm-hmm. that is a sign of I'm aware of my shortcomings and <laughs> what, what I do in movies. And why not? Why not let me uh, let everybody call me asshole throughout the movie? I don't care. I have a sense of humor. And uh, that was uh, produced by uh, Danny Lee. And uh, you really can't ask for more when someone can work the commercial game convincingly, but mm-hmm. also do well when challenging himself. Uh, as well as being a shameless exploitation genre filmmaker, <laughs> I, I have no complaints about that. And uh, and speaking of like cops and robbers flicks, I'm. I'm more of a fan of those when they came out like late 70s, early 80s, when Danny hadn't really popped uh, uh, popped up uh, up on the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to mention it because I'm such a huge fan for these uh, gritty new wave movies out of late 70s, early 80s Hong Kong cinema. Mm-hmm. Like um, Cops and Robbers, literally. Cops and Robbers is a great, great movie. And uh, The Happenings is uh, a great little crime movie. So, And Danny Lee... Surely his movies came out during a time when they were making these kind of movies, and he. But he, he, I hesitate to say he made his own type of cop movie. He just, 
it wasn't like that, but it is really, really solid movies, and uh, that are still and should be uh, still be appreciated to this day. I mean, Lord Two Faces is still very solid, and mm-hmm. it shows like an actor instantly being a fit for something. It really shows. I mean, the Shaw Brothers stuff is fucking cool, no. but that wasn't, you know, <laughs> Danny Lee finding his voice again, finding your voice. He did via his cop movies. He was in and, charge, you know, during those those films. He was he was the man. He was just uh, all encompassing. Yeah, and, and gathering up a small group of uh, constant actors around him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pa- Parkman Wong and the likes. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that that's like one of his uh, long-lasting collaborators. Uh, Parkman Wong, uh, yeah. both both uh, working with him as an actor and letting him direct movies as well. And, and Parkman Wong is in Doctor Lamb uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's. Um, Cool cats. Some some of them we know where they are now, and some of them are still very much active. And uh, yeah. regardless if both had been inactive, they still have a great history to look back on. Mm-hmm. And I always say, even if you only do one movie that is regarded by a large group of people, the entire world as a classic, or <laughs> a small number of people regarded as a cult classic, I think you've still achieved something and something to be proud of. Oh sure, yeah. You know what I mean, I mean, I, I I spoke of that and said just that when I watched uh, Poltergeist recently, and was thinking mm. a little bit about to- Toby Hooper's uh, career. And essentially, Toby Hooper, he did he did a few good things outside of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but that's mm. pretty much his legacy. And I I would be so proud if I had that. Oh yeah, Poltergeist. By the way, it's it's one of my favorite movies growing up. Yeah, it's it's I'm you know I'm in my mid thirties and it still to this day scares the shit out of me. Oh yeah, and, and I, for I, a PG so, movie to do that. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I saw it properly for the first time just recently. I, I've only seen bits and pieces of it, and only uh, only full frame on TV. And I mm-hmm. and I am such a geek that I, if I can get a widescreen version of something, I'd like that because that movie looked way too cramped when I watched it yeah, on TV yeah. many years ago. And I, yeah, I, I sense there's a greater scope to this, and hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was. Uh, so. Very, very much good fun. So I think that's a suitable time for a break, and we'll be back after the musical break with discussions of Dr. Lamb. So after that dark musical break and a little bit of cursing at the end of it, <laughs> we are going to go into the main feature of this uh, podcast, if you will, and it's the discussion of the 1992 movie Dr. Lamb, directed by Danny Lee and Billy Tang as associate director, co-director for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, right up. So working with the Category 3 rating that was a few years old at this point, the true crime biopic of Lam Go Wan, Hong Kong's taxi driving serial killer, it got portrayed in an extreme way. The Category 3 rating allowed things to be taken up several notches, and this movie utilized that. 
So it was produced by Ken Cheng's apparently short-lived production company. Mm. And, uh, and Danny Lee, but his Magnum banner is not on this movie as far as I know. Uh, but he was a producer and co-director, but his, uh, cred- uh, his credit, I think, uh, again, I, I don't remember this very well, reads associate director, that's perhaps Billy Tank's credit, but uh, it's all Telltale's sign of co-directing, and this mm-hmm. movie uh, shows that very clearly. And uh, one could argue, really, that they divided up duties this way, between you know the cop procedural scenes... These are mine, Danny Lee said. But flashback scenes with all the horrific Nazi stuff, you can have that bit of tang. And I trust <laughs> you to have that. And uh, Because they, they certainly are way different in style. You really notice that. And uh, overall, Dr. Lam is one of the most notorious examples coming out of Hong Kong to, uh, when it comes to the true life crime horror flicks. Uh, despite them cropping up often during this period, I think Dr. Lam was one of the first and still one of the best despite having you know movies like uh, Love to Kill The Untold Story mm-hmm. as uh, as uh, you know competition but um, other collaborators on the film that I've mentioned but deserve to be mentioned again is the cinematographer that Billy Tang worked with many times uh, Tony Mew and also he worked with the composer Jonathan Wong many times or a few times rather and that rounds off the talent involved and they a very crucial talent that makes this atmospheric, animalistic, and nightmarish tale of gory murder fly. It's really like a good collaboration between key personnel. And, and again, you had a prior shot on video biopic uh, criminal Ar- from Criminal Archives TV series Female Butcher produced by Billy Tang <laughs> and Simon Yam in the lead. And, and I've seen a cover of that and Simon Yam is yeah. more, more a pretty boy on that cover than anything mm-hmm. else. He doesn't look uh, as... Which uh, is closer to his real persona. Very yeah, exactly. Pr- a pretty boy. <laughs> he, glo- he glows a little bit more on that yes. uh, VCD cover. It's on VCD but uh, with no subtitles. And he's very pretty in person, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> Does he glow? He, he glows. Oh, yes, yeah. he does. He shines. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, apparently this was directed by a director called Cook Lung. And the only reason I know of him is when looking at the... Well, if it's a male. But when looking at the credits, he directed a fantastic underdog story, Nobody's Hero. Oh, uh, yeah. Which, which is a, not a category-free movie, but one of the most, like... Oh, man, such a good movie. Uh, violent and gritty as hell. Mm. And uh, sadly undiscovered movie because it's not available anywhere. Yeah. I have to thank you for uh, giving me that one. That was that's oh, I, I've been wanting to see that movie for so for so long, and uh, it didn't disappoint. Did and you not. can't really do it justice uh, when speaking of it briefly here. Nobody's here. It's oh, just no, a no. great, 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 gritty, violent movie that doesn't start out like that and doesn't star anyone you associated with. Oh, it's gritty very cutesy and, and playful, and, and then. It takes a turn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the worst, you know, the the bad quality of that tape I copied you, that works for the movie. Uh, oh, sure. Definitely. Uh, but uh, that's the basic background, uh, background on Dr. Lamb. So you mentioned on the first podcast that, as people may remember, this is one of your favorite movies. Yes, yes. I said, I think I said I can watch it on an endless loop. And uh, yeah, I, I just love it that much. It's If I were to make a, a list, this would be, you know, top top 10 maybe top 5 material um, this uh, above Chunking Express or below Chunking no, Express no well, Chunking Express see now you're exposing me you know I, I do watch you know movies other than category 3 movies and Chunking Express that just holds a place in my heart that's gotta be number 1 yeah. but just below Chunking Express is that's where all the smut <laughs> resides okay yeah but um uh 
when I think about Hong Kong movies, I think about films from this era, from the early 90s. This, uh, it's, it's Hong Kong film, uh, this, this, this period is kind of synonymous with Hong, when uh, someone mentions Hong Kong film, I directly go back to this era. Mm-hmm. And this look of a film, uh, the Dr. Lam look, it's, 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 it's very gritty and very dirty and very sweaty and very nasty and smelly. And, and that's just what I love about uh, this period in Hong Kong cinema. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, when someone, like I said, when someone mentions Hong Kong cinema, I directly think of, of Dr. Lam. That's not uh, common, really, uh, which is good to hear that someone associates Hong Kong cinema in the 90s with something else rather than John Woo or uh, right, right. Chan I, or what have you. I, I, I caught these films kind of early on, maybe, in my, uh, in my Hong Kong film watching you know, history, so maybe, maybe that's the reason. You know, I, it's, it's just these, these films uh, were – once I saw Dr. Lam, I had to find more – in the same vein or the same look, and a lot of I like I started watching them in 1995. A lot of the films that were on the shelves were from 92, 93, 94. Mm-hmm. So those are the films that I, I picked up and I first watched. So maybe that's that's the reason. And, and is it still like the one that did it the best out of these uh, classic category three movies, if you will? I mean, I, yeah. I I don't think you rate the Untold Story above this. You know what I mean? No, no. Uh, Untold, Untold Story is is harsh. But this this one, uh, like we mentioned earlier, this one's classy. This one has a touch of class to it. You know, it's it's shot so well. It's it's so such a tight, well made film that uh, for an ex- like a for an exploitation film to be this this good and this 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 well done, uh, it just I don't know. It just it, it blows my mind sometimes. Like how how does this get a screening in the theater? This mm. it's a dirty film. It's a really nasty film. And it's done so beautifully and so so well, and it's a little bit artsy, but not not too much. I I I've never associated with uh, you know style over substance though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it, it is the movie that cared a little bit more, and you and you gotta start really at the at the promotion stage and speak of the fantastic post art created for the movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> and this is not uh, you you you'll see these in the podcast post. There's actually about three key images. And one is two are Simon Yam in surgical gear, yeah, and uh, with uh, various body pieces uh, uh, chopped up in front of him. And this doesn't <laughs> appear in the movie. It has a hush sign. Yes, to, yes. Uh, you can see that on the DVD yep. disc itself. You see that image, but and it was all done for poster art only, which is uh, not common. They just shot some shoddy poster art because this was part of an era where movies just kept spewing out you know you, you didn't have time to care and no. promote stuff properly but no, no. but they they wanted that for this movie and the other one is uh, of course uh, Sam Yam having all the uh, various uh, victims uh, in, in a corner and all yeah. with a chainsaw I have with, that poster though and uh, it's a it's a really beat up old wrinkled crappy poster but it's it's one, one that I hold dear definitely and one that doesn't occur in the movie either. He doesn't use no, a chainsaw no. on these victims. He does cut them up. But uh, but it, this is an unusual thought process. Uh, but, you know, their thought, filmmakers, Danny Lee and the likes, were probably thinking, like, if you make something extreme and get noticed on the poster stage out of, outside of the cinema immediately, mm-hmm. you know, you can get the ass in seats that way. Oh, definitely, definitely. And obviously they play up the gore factor. These, uh, <laughs> the, the, this post art, and for once it 
kind of response to that as well. You know, it's not uh, it's not uh, posted that promises uh, a lot that never happens in the film, and uh, <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> it, it's it, it's amusing in a way. These poses, I, I I look at them as they make Lamb look like a slashy movie villain, kind of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, destined for his own series. <laughs> Which is nice and disrespectful, <laughs> considering it's a true story and all of that. But it, it's it's true shameless exploitation too, and that's been uh, seen and heard throughout the ages as well. Mm. And and it's only a movie, for sure. And it's not like Danny Lee and the likes are they are you know laughing in the face of the families. Uh, part of it is still that like there's no excuse to this behavior to exploit this kind of way. But I don't mind it. It's still a movie, and it it's uh, it comes with chops, obviously. Oh yeah, but uh, you, you, we, we are going to spoil certain aspects, I'm sure. So uh, it, we, we, we can go through sort of a not not scene by scene, but speak of scenes that really work in terms of the cinematography and the direction of the score. And I always need to mention at all times, multiple times, a fantastic score by Jonathan Wong mm-hmm. uh, that you got a taste of during the musical break. And it's of course saxophone-ish at times. It's a core aspect to it, the saxophone. Mm. But also the industrial beats and the synthesizer score aspect to it, a la you know a, a ministry type of sound or skinny puppy type of sound. <laughs> and I just absolutely fucking love that because I'm I love those. I'm I'm weak for that kind of music. Obviously, I'm a fan right. of that music, but it's not. A usual score. Maybe it is a usual score in Hong Kong, but you don't ever, 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 ever notice it. But that movie, that stood out. That composer, Jonathan Wong, made that score stand out. It was well timed, obviously, to certain scenes in the movie. And that those beats are just absolutely irresistible in combination with the sweaty, orange, blue, red look. Yeah, of yeah. this movie, and I mean, I I think you're more apt to talking about what Billy Tang and Dan Lee were trying to do in terms of the social commentary because early on you see, you know, the living conditions of the family. Right. So 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 right. what so what do you take away from the movie in terms of that? Uh, well, all, most most true true crime films or films from this era, and maybe even back in, into the '80s, they like Hong Kong is a very crowded place, and uh, a lot of them are are low income, uh, working blue collar. Mm-hmm. People and the, these movies are kind of made for them. That's their escapist entertainment. Yep. And um, in Doctor Lamb, that comes through. And, and in real life, Doctor Lamb lived in this tiny apartment with his his father. He lived in a tiny bedroom with his brother, and he did all this carnage, you know. And his brother, you know, none of the family had a clue. And it was like a tiny, like uh, almost like a cubicle of an apartment. Mm. And this is the, these were the living conditions, not only for Dr. Lamb, but for a ton of, of uh, Hong Kong's uh, denizens. And um, like I said, the, these films were, were kind of geared toward, toward them because this was their Hong Kong. This was their reality. This was their, this was their life. And what I always loved about Hong Kong <laughs> films is like people can be walking to work and a film is being shot and they're in the background looking at the camera, mm-hmm. you know, and they always stop and look, you know, that's <laughs> it, it was a part of their every day. And um, as far as social commentary um, concerning Dr. Lamb, uh, there's a weird dichotomy between Dr. Lamb, the criminal, and uh, the cops. The cops are the good guys, but they act like criminals in this movie. Mm-hmm. They beat the living piss out of this guy. 
So I don't know if there's a commentary that Danny Lee and, and, and Billy Tang want to, to make on, on uh, police officers in Hong Kong at the time, but it's, it's, um, I don't think it's a stretch to, to take that away. No, definitely not. And uh, it's, they, they don't go beyond the story route and make the cops all-out clowns. No, just a little. It's just a little, a little. but, but yeah. it's, so, it's subtle compared to the Untold Stories. Oh, so. Untold Stories is buffoonish. Exactly, but, but the, the, the point there was that they were Macau cops. <laughs> yeah. Yes! I, so, I'm so you that like, Macau not Hong Kong cops, we can just... Yes, yes, however I like. thought the same thing. Good. <laughs> but but uh, I, I re-watching it, I, 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 I had like a wrong memory in terms of like the comedy in this movie I, there, there's not a whole lot of wacky comedy as I, I my memory was was that that this movie mm-hmm. had a lot of wacky comedy that didn't fit I think the cop story is of course the standard story of mm-hmm. the movie and uh, not the most accomplished as such it serves a purpose obviously and, it's a framework and, exactly and, yeah. uh, and and at times it you know it's when it starts to interact with the with the not interact with the flashback, but when the cops are in the same geographical places as the, flash, well, as the flashback in the apartment and all that, the darkly comical side comes through all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Because you find, they find these, uh, these uh, breasts, cut, cut breasts in a jar, and I'll let you explain that joke. Uh, what um, happens in the movie to poor old Emily Kwan? Oh, and, and, uh, and Ken Cheng. Yes. The, initially, initially, the uh, I think someone's standing on um, a stool, looking into a closet, and he pulls out a big jar with liquid in it, and it it, it falls. Uh, the, the jar opens and spills out all over Kent Chang's head, <laughs> and inside this jar was a severed breast. <laughs> so you know, Kent Chang sees this, he flips out and flings it, and uh, into the next room is Emily Kwan. She's on all fours as the, the cops are there trying to recreate, you know, the, the crime scene. And the breast lands right on her back. <laughs> and it's all jiggly and wiggly and slimy. And uh, oh, they, they, they just all flip out. It's, oh, it's such a good scene. It's, it's a darkly comic scene. It's, oh, yeah, it's, it's a good beat. Good beat in the movie. So disgusting, but so brilliant. <laughs> and, and it's for once like Hong Kong comedy injected into a very dark story that, that, that actually kind of works. It shouldn't be long there. It should not be long in this movie because the no. movie is... Uh, a tight um, biopic, if you will, and it's, it takes us quite, uh, takes itself, you know, uh, semi seriously, and this scene just doesn't belong. But I love it. I'm glad that it's there. I would argue kind of that it does belong because it could have happened. You know, it's not like it's an out of nowhere banana peel joke that they right, right. that they uh, they inject. The moments that for me that doesn't work are when when one of the cops have all the photographs developed and he's like, oh, you can see breasts is on them. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, come off it. This is not the untold story. I mean, really, really, and they, they definitely do because there are well, it, some... It, it's good to note that these are the same cops that are in the untold story. Oh, yep. Aside, aside from Ken Chang, these are the same, you know, the, the same police unit I just transferred to Macau. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the focus is still... You know, I, I connect Dr. Lamb to, to three words, really. One man show. Mm. And, and uh, that connects to Simon Yam, obviously. And it's, it's you know, this real life villain has, I wouldn't say a lot of depth, but he's, a shape, he's shaped by a lot of things that's happened to him. And there's a lot of messed up map of psychology in this mm. character, but you can't explain 
why he is a messed up killer and a character. He just is, and that's mesmerizing in, in itself because Simon Yam you know, provides this performance that is also something that shouldn't work. Mm. It's absolutely shouldn't work, but I, I think it's, uh, and I'll explain why. I think it's a credit to Simon Yam as an actor, as a mesmerizing actor, that he can pull off being essentially a werewolf in this movie. <laughs> You know, the reigning night's killer, the, the lamb character was called, and uh, he, he starts uh, howling at the moon and yeah, saying yeah. twitching and, uh, and you know, twitches <laughs> and grins and cries and howls through this performance that is so hilariously over the top, but also, to me, hugely frightening. It's uh, good, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I like the, uh, the twitch that you see early in the film in uh, Yam's face as, uh, works as a nice precursor of huge acting to come <laughs> and, uh, and, and and it does have a genuinely unsettling disturbing aura of the film thanks to that sweaty look if you will the yes. very distinct orange and red uh, lightning schemes that uh, I love those lightning schemes yeah. I love them yeah. They, they they could be cliches, but man, they, mm-hmm. the Hong Kong filmmakers knew how to use their blues and their reds yeah, and their, their oranges. And, uh, and and also speaking of precursor, I mean, man, I'm, I'm going through a few early things in the movie that I really think work, that you also see brief glimpses of the photos. That's like, did I just see what I thought I saw? <laughs> uh, you know, because they, they show them as inverted for photos before, uh, for a while before yeah. they're, they're developed. And... Uh, but, but also when you have uh, Yam's uh, Lam's father Lao Suming uh, the actor Lao Suming mm-hmm. trying to like convince the police that no he's just taking arty photographs there's nothing illegal about that so <laughs> yeah. but, so, so it's slightly comical side to, to the movie as well but uh, eventually the movie is not going to spare us in any department no and uh, you know the, the comedy is really in that department is not as over the top but uh, uh, the other department, I mean, the OCTB group, uh, consisting of Dan Lee, Parkman Wong, Eric Kay as the, I guess, the American of the group, because he just speaks English all the time. <laughs> as you heard in the musical break, that was Eric Kay swearing in English. <laughs> and uh, Lam King Kong, Emily Kwan, and uh, Ken Cheng. It's, it's a team here. And I, I think, for me anyway, structurally, I think it's wise that, and I think maybe it was a requirement by someone to show early that this killer was caught. Because mm-hmm. you don't, I, I don't think it's wise at all time to have an audience thinking, like, "Holy shit, I don't, I, I don't know if he's going to get away or not," and uh, they might feel extreme frustration and anxiety about mm-hmm. that. So I think in this case, it is clever, but you know, that, that would turn it into a different kind of movie, yeah. like a like a cat and mouse type thing, you know. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting plot device to mm-hmm. to use. They, they they actually used it in a Korean movie, uh, The Chaser, if you ever saw yes. that. And, uh, I don't watch Korean films, but I I was pointed toward the Chaser, and that was such a good movie. And, uh, such a good movie. Yeah, absolutely. And we will talk about that on what's Korean cinema, I believe. Uh, that that that's essentially the movie. The, the kid is caught, mm. but they still have some mysteries to solve after he's yeah. caught, uh, including trying to prove it's him, I believe, or something. That like was that. such a good movie that I wish Hong Kong had made it. <laughs> I was so angry. <laughs> like, why can't Hong Kong cinema be like this? Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. But uh, I'm going to stop there and just ask briefly. The, uh, the the various Danny Lee cop movies from this time that, that were on film, uh, 
do you still like them in the 90s? Do you think he had a uh, was on a roll in the 90s in terms of his cop movies, uh, exploitation category free or not? I mean, the organized crime and tri-bureau movie. Yeah, I, I still dig those movies because that was like, like I said um, earlier, that's the 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 era of Hong Kong films that I started with. So definitely, when I when I see OCTB and uh, things like that, uh, it's it, that's the stuff that I love. The stuff that I hold so dear. Hmm. And it's also not made by shoddy people at all. I mean, that, no, no, that, this was that classic stuff. Movie, that was that, that was Kirk Wong. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, so it's only like his shot on video stuff that you probably you know as you said would think oh this is standard and very boring right and right I, and, I'll, I'll, and I'll and I'll give most of them a shot you know I haven't seen many of many of them there are a few that are subtitled that I that I have seen mm-hmm. you know and I, I, I give them a shot because it's Danny Lee and yeah. I, I somewhat trust Danny Lee mm-hmm. and go going back to a little bit of Simon Yam I mean you, you really need to showcase uh the, the different aspect of his performance and how the character develops because he has such a fantastic calm in the scenes where he's being brutally beaten up they can't mm. break him <laughs> and it's incredibly admirable seeing Simon Yam obviously not th- taking a pummeling as well I mean it's not uh, I mean, they could obviously fake it a little bit but he's still uh, it looks like he's you know employing the method thing that just, just right. punch me just punch me just uh, and the only thing that breaks the character is uh, of course his uh, family uh, when, when the family attacks him you know yeah, and family... that was actually made up in the movie um, really? when I was doing research it was only his brother that was in the uh, room with him he requested to speak to his brother mm-hmm. so I guess for the film for a little you know, dramatic tension they added the entire family because I think the scene before they just uh, revealed that he took pictures of his sister's daughter yeah so I guess for dramatic impact you know it was much better to throw the whole family in there to mm-hmm. beat the shit out of him mm-hmm. And I mean, they, they, speaking of that that picture, it's uh, one of the more. A lot of the movies inexcusable, obviously, and and uh, but but I think the the reaction towards this movie, I think, is due to a picture that briefly mm-hmm. flashes by of uh, mm-hmm. because it, it is said that he um, he sexually abused uh, the daughter of his uh, sister, I guess it is. Yes. And in the movie, and you see a picture that essentially looks like a child pornography type of picture, which I hope was fake, but oh, uh, uh, but but. Again, we we catch that immediately and react as strongly as human beings should react. But right. I am R- repulsed, not a, repulsed, r- repulsed as hell. But yeah. I'm not the one that's like I'm gonna disown right. the movie and anyone who watches the movie mm-hmm. because I I give people a lot more credit than that. But uh, it, it is a movie that pushes that stuff pretty hard, and I wonder how that got past censors. To be honest, yeah, yeah, and that wasn't one of the cuts in like the the cut copy. No, it's a gore cut. Uh, uh, yeah. it's essentially, it's a six seconds of gore cut out of the movie. Well, Hong Kong is is like notorious for showing naked little kids all the time. <laughs> you know, a, a king of comedy, Stephen Chow. <laughs> yeah, I was little, about to mention king of comedy. <laughs> yeah, well, that that blew me away. I was like, what the hell's going on here? What am I watching? Will not be in the American remake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Stephen Chow looking at Chai's penis and being very like fascinated. This is what is this? Oh, I'm this the same is. Size. <laughs> oh my god that is so wrong and a wonderful movie and a wonderful oh, yeah, movie and it's a funny scene it's a, it's a very funny scene yeah because he gets distracted uh, when uh, he's about he's supposed to coach the guy who wants to get a depth back from from triads and stuff like that so he's supposed to coach by you know like uh, on on the side on the, on the ringside and he's just fascinated by this little boy's penis instead 
Oh, that's so funny. He's so happy, too. <laughs> Seeing Stephen Chow happy is one of my yeah, favorite things yeah. in the whole world. <laughs> my God. So, you know, not only Dr. Lamb is guilty of that kind of naughty stuff, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but, uh, man, it's, um, it's, uh, it's a full plate, this character. And uh, it's a lot of cliches. But uh, in terms of his reasoning for doing what he's doing, especially that he says he's doing God's work. Uh, yeah. Now, but it isn't a boring, cliched time, anyway, because it is Simon Yam who makes this character so mesmerizing to just sit and look at look at the character, look at the actor performing these very unsubtle mm. things on screen that are absolutely horrific, and uh, you know it's uh, and and it starts with uh, during the second half of the movie when he starts to try and cut them up perfectly and uh, and this reveals the fact that uh, this movie had a gore budget it mm-hmm. clearly had a gore budget I, I read somewhere a long time ago and I think Danny Lee said they was disappointed that the investment uh, in the um, in the woman uh, in the female corpse that uh, that Simon Yan was going to cut through with the bus or whatever it's called that uh, Hong Kong census uh, cut some of that out it's still in the movie you can see yeah, a lot yeah. of stuff in the movie but it's really well made and I'll, I'll let you quote one of the absolutely best scares in this movie that happens uh, again we're spoiling the movie slightly but we warned you beforehand but uh, the, when Simon Yam chops the dead the woman arm. in the arm oh and her eyes pop open yes yeah, yeah you'll, you'll shit your pants definitely yeah and it's uh you know, it's it's mesmerizing filmmaking wise, and you know it's mesmerizing because it's Simon Yam and this wonderful actress in one room who are you know these these actresses are incredible at playing dead, mm. being marionettes literally getting cut yeah, up yeah. and violated in the most heinous ways. And you know, it, it, I admire that incredibly. You can see them brief at like two three points, mm-hmm. but these like. Uh, to me, unknown actresses. I think I recognize Julie Lee as one of the victims. Yeah, she was one of the victims. But yeah. uh, do, do you recognize any of the other victims as, as has no. they gone on to anything else? Or they just no, I, I do not recognize any of the victims. I do recognize there was one um, actress. I think she played dual roles in the film. If you look briefly, in the, in the beginning, she played the father's uh, or his, his stepmother. Mm-hmm. And that's Amy Wong Oimei. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think... Um, later in the film, she briefly appears in a, a brief sex scene where I guess Simon Yam is uh, is with her in bed, and he just can't get it up. Mm. And she kind of looks bored, and you know, kind of chides him a bit, and then she's gone. So yeah, <laughs> typical Hong Kong cinema. Just throw everyone in there. Who's, who's available? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but she's like, you know, I I like Amy Wong. She's a gamer. She's in a bunch of category three three crap out there, but she she kind of knows her role. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She's a Category 3 actress. She's in it to act a little and show off a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I like that, she, you know, she and a few other actresses in the genre, they understand their role. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. it, it's only, like, the defenders of morals out there who try and come up with the story that these women were abused and they were forced into the movie. Yeah, this yeah, that, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. The triads did this and that. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, uh, so they, they, probably, they, they knew what they were doing. And, uh, sure. Uh, so... Again, going a little back, talking about you know why we even watching a movie like this, and because I, I kept thinking of that throughout the movie, like uh, is there a rational explanation to you know liking a movie like this? And, and there isn't one, but I 
this might sound very pretentious from me, but I always I always think of this that they act for me as a sort of a reminder that thank God my world doesn't suck this hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's the escape that cinema provides, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Exactly, and uh, because obviously this is real life, uh, uh, incredibly like real life, as you explained earlier in the show. Yeah. And uh, unsubtly and disturbing is like the mild words attached to this film. I, I, I have no problem watching it. I don't flinch or anything, but I, I take it with me afterwards that it still has an effect on me. But it doesn't need to be about the gore at all times. I think the most effective moments for me are the murders that doesn't involve gore. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the murders in the taxi, yeah. in, in these closed, uh, tight spaces. Right. And there's where, such a struggle, such a violent struggle. Yeah. And uh, and they, they, it's, it seems like there's no good way of shooting that softly. You know, you just have to go for it. And uh, mm-hmm. and it, it, this is the marriage between Billy Tang and Tony Mew and uh, and Jonathan Wong's score, and, and also Simon Yan, the actor that I was talking about. It's uh, that's to me the most disturbing moments when you know the life is you know squeezed out of these uh, people, and it's not squeezed out with with gore. It's just uh, you know all of a sudden they're instantly dead yeah and that sounds simple seems simple Mm -hmm. but that's what I admire about filmmaking it surely takes a lot to convey that the right way and afterwards in post merge all the elements to make that uh, Mm -hmm. moment stand out how simple it is to take to take a life you know it comes through it really comes through yeah and uh, speaking again about the cuts, uh, again, we, we mentioned there are six seconds of cuts uh, in the movie, mainly in the scene where Sam Yam uh, cuts uh, off uh, the, the uh, sp- splits the woman in half with his, uh, with his saw, if you will. There, there are some cuts in that scene, and also the breast cutting scene is a mm-hmm. little bit shorter. Uh, we're talking six seconds here, and it's not six seconds from that scene because there are cuts later in the film where they are watching the same footage, literally yeah. the same yeah. footage, yeah. Uh, with widescreen bars and everything, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, on the TV. It's a major goof. It's a major goof in the film, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Simon Yam apparently had a film crew with him, <laughs> the character that uh, were on dolly tracks while he was doing his uh, deeds. Confession, yeah. Yeah. That's so uh, th- that's a very terrible scene, but they they, they did cut round about that point as well. To uh, to cut the same scenes and uh, mm. that shows the senses like watching the entire movie like ah we should cut that again <laughs> you know it would be so ironic if they missed that and and you would have actually seen just it just once enough yeah exactly uh, this cut footage ended up on a Spanish VHS once upon a time but also now on an Austrian DVD that actually isn't actually as good as it sounds because it uses the rather poor but sufficient transfer from the Winston DVD mm-hmm. and, and just insert this from a VHS source so it's not like they did a full-on oh. remaster that, is, that was uncut uh, so it's very it, noticeable apparently yeah but still yeah. I, I, I wouldn't mind owning it but apparently it's very expensive so, and they, I've seen stills of the footage and it's not like yeah I'm okay no, with the cuts I'm okay yeah the, yeah. the, scene, the scenes are still there yeah it's definitely just, just seconds out of them rather than crew. that's like uh, I'm sorry that, that's like uh, um um what, what movie? The Anthony Wong movie, Herman Yao movie. I can't believe I'm I'm drawing a blank. Ebola syndrome. Yes. When Anthony Wong gets peed on by the girl. Yes. <laughs> that scene's cut, but it's only cut by two, three seconds. You still get to see, you know, at least three seconds of the girl peeing on Anthony Wong. <laughs> I'm okay with three seconds being cut from that. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't mind. 
we we are officially saving the kids by cutting three seconds out of this movie. <laughs> right, like, right. The kids are safe. <laughs> That's how senses think, my friend. They are there. <laughs> Uh, but but we are thankful that the DVD even came out because I, prior this movie, as far as I know, didn't have any subtitles on home video, uh, despite being on VHS and Laserdisc, and they even were maybe they were further cut as well. So they, this had a, like a troubled history in terms of subtitles uh, until the Winston DVD popped up uh, once upon a time, and and it's incredibly sufficient to watch the movie that way because. It just works for me that it comes through. We wouldn't talking about it this way if it didn't come through all the uh, parts of the cinematography mm-hmm. and uh, sweat, <laughs> sweat of the movie and the gore of the movie. But um, it's uh, for me summing it up. It's uh, I, I I mentioned this and uh, I'm gonna mention it again. It's all done by in such disgusting fashion by a hungry director and cinematographer and composer and actor, and you you sit in awe during this movie and especially during the last 30 minutes which is Simon Yam's finest showcase where the most heinous stuff happens and you are just in awe in terms of what his character goes through emotionally uh, I mean the, the, how he jumps between emotions yeah. you know crying and trying to be calm and trying to be no I'm not going to hurt you now I'm going to hurt you I'm not going to hurt you I'm going to hurt you visually now you know he is it's it is an incredible performance and uh, one of Simon Young's most remem- should be remembered performance. But do you think this is um, uh, synonymous with Simon Yam? Like when people think of Simon Yam, they think of Doctor Lem immediately. I don't not not one hundred percent across the board. I, I think people think of Simon Yam as the guy who's in every movie. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, he's done, he's done so much stuff, and he's always he's always reliable. Even even shit, he's done a bunch of shit like in the late nineties. Yeah, you know, and he was still he was he was like Danny Lee. He was old old reliable. Simon Yam's in it. I'm gonna watch this, and he still is. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he's still glowing, and he's still appearing in every movie. He and looks like he's twenty years old. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, who who knows? We might have another gigolo uh, gigolo uh, oh, resurgence uh, in uh, 2011, <laughs> and Simon Yam will probably want to be there again because he, he his other roles were gigolo roles. He specialized yeah. in those as well. In, in the in the wonderfully uh, uh, un-PC titled Gigolo and Whore One and Two, <laughs> One and Two Kids. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say the second one. It's not as uh, sleazy and in, in bad no. taste as it sounds. It's quite a serious movie, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's so. How how would you? What's your thought like when when trying to summarize uh, Doctor Lamb? I mean, what, what what is your initial thought? Like, uh, um, it, like I said, oh, it's it's kind of it's 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 classy, but the subject matter, I don't know if it deserves to be classy, hmm. but it it is and. Um, like Simon Yam and Danny Lee and Billy Tang, it's these people. Oh, this, you said the cinematographer, uh, uh, the music. These are people who know, who who kind of know their craft, mm-hmm. and it really comes through um, when you're watching it. You know, the, it's it's not choppy, it's not poorly edited, it's not poorly anything really. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a really tight tight movie. Just a poor. And, uh, it's just a poor case of uh, real life, really. It's a sad yeah, case yeah. of real life. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So you see, kids, we don't like this, but we yes, love no, it. <laughs> so uh, that's the that's a suitable way to cap cap that. But you know, kids, they did this movie before, and mm. uh, in a little while we're going to talk about Hong Kong Butcher. 
so it doesn't end with Dr. Lamb. Uh, it would have, maybe a month ago, I wouldn't have, you know, the content of this podcast uh, uh, because I, I didn't know of Hong Kombucha until a month ago. Uh, when it turned up as a torrent online, yeah, kids, torrents. Download, download stuff that you can't <laughs> find otherwise. You know, uh, I... obscure Hong Kong movies with no with no copyright <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so Hong Kong Butcher, I, I don't know what to say about it because there's no background on it. There's absolutely no background on it. I I had help translating some of the credits, and that still didn't help me. It's a 1985 movie, I believe, uh, with uh, only one recognizable actor to me. It's in a minor appearance by Quan Hoi San, yeah. a cop. So, but it is this quite obscure theatrical release. It is a movie shot on film. And uh, that's pretty much it. It's the same story. It's the Dr. Lamb story. Uh, and it covers not all of the beats mentioned, but pretty much the crucial ones although in this movie he doesn't live with his family in the cramped apartment he only has no. a his own like apartment it's like a studio apartment yeah yeah exactly so, so I thought maybe that was made up for Dr. Lamb but now I know after listening to you that that, mm-hmm. that wasn't made up he actually did all these hor- horrific things in the same apartment that he lived uh, with uh, in with his family yeah so it's it, it, it's a good movie it, it has some flaws and I, I'm, I'm gonna go through a few of the flaws that are apparent very quickly. It, the opening credits is one of the most mysterious ones I've ever seen. That's it's bizarre. It's uh, <laughs> we're gonna do social commentary now and show homeless, <laughs> random homeless people, and never mention them again. But I think some of them were actors, and some of them were actual homeless people. Yeah, and it's like okay, here's a commentary. Maybe it will pay off. And after the movie, it's like, well, okay. What's up, spliced in for another movie? It's, it's an endless opening credits with that probably wants to say something, but it just falls flat and it's like, oh boy. It's very exploitative too. Yes. I remember them, they showed uh, a, a, a man with Down syndrome. Yes. And in the, the dubbing, it was just a bunch of grunts. Mm-hmm. Like he was trying to speak, but all he could do was, uh, uh, uh. It's like, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that's terrible. But perhaps it was part of like trying to catch the grit of the streets. Oh, sure. And, I, I believe uh, that, yeah. Uh, and obviously the movie's designed kind of that way to catch the grit of the streets and the grit of certain environments. And uh, and, and this movie works as kind of a... Uh, it has a documentary approach, actually, mm-hmm. which works for and against the movie because it does catch, in, catch the grit well. Mm-hmm. But some stretches of boredom does occur in a quite a distracting manner because it's just basically... Just a video diary in a way, like try, try. Here's the streets. I'm driving in the streets, and there's people in the streets, and nothing really is happening. And people are sitting inside, and nothing is really happening in the uh, in the bordello or the whorehouse. But uh, so, so it it it's it it's it needed some stuff cut actually, and it's maybe a case of them just trying to add a few minutes to reach a feature feature length time. Oh, like that that whorehouse scene at the beginning that had really nothing to do with anything. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a uh, it's perplexing start to this. Uh, so okay, it's uh, it's Doctor Lamb's story. Maybe it will maybe it will uh, ignite s- sometime. <laughs> and uh, but but you do feel grateful that you w- when you compare it to a 1992 movie, Doctor Lamb, that someone actually uh, made it more snappy. Mm. <laughs> maybe learned from Hong, Hong Kong Butcher. Who knows? <laughs> and Hong Kong Butcher took place only a few years after the actual events. Yes, yeah. eighty-five and uh, was it eighty-two? Eighty-two, eighty-three. Yeah, yeah. So uh, 
some some unknown people. The director uh, is named China Chung, <laughs> which, which sounds like I don't sounds like a wrestler. I, I was just gonna say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a wrestler called China, so I guess that's where I'm. Yeah, yeah. From. And Stu would know that. Stu is a wrestling fan. Oh. Um, and so, but, but when this uh, actor playing Doctor Lamb actually uh, in his taxi. Uh, does the first murder and uh, what is done correct here actually is showcasing the ability to back off graphic sites mm-hmm. in order to achieve fine effect again like you don't need a gore at all times and probably Hong Kong Butcher didn't have much of a gore budget but the, the scene uh, of the I don't remember if he strangled her in the taxi, but the, the, the scene in the apartment where he actually brings his first victim, yeah. it's quite short. Uh, the mutilation is actually obscured by the actor. Mm-hmm. The, and I actually like that. It was designed in a very careful way and within this very disgusting little apartment. And I mm-hmm. thought it was a rather chilling first murderous act that confirmed that this movie at least sporadically we'll have some exploitation chops right it was a nice touch it was definitely a nice touch so that was like uh, your were you on board with anything before that or was this movie very you know tough to take because it was so bad up until that moment no or? no I, I didn't think the movie was bad I just thought like with the like you said the opening credit sequence how it was just so bizarre I just I thought it was wearing its exploitation on its sleeve because uh-huh. it was kind of unsettling like I said the, the, the poor down syndrome kid just making the grunts and like everyone they would show these homeless people on the street that's all they would do is like ramble and grunt and, and of course it's dubbing it's you know they're not actually saying this stuff mm-hmm. so I thought oh my god this is going to be I'm in for a ride here and they they, um, they, they do t- touch upon of course the psychology into the, oh, yeah. the lamb and it's a similar psychology obviously Including his ability, inability to be truly comfortable with women, uh, it's a pretty much exactly the same scene as in Doctor Lamb, yeah. where he, he he can't get it up and uh, he gets um, you know uh, yelled at because of that. So uh, that scene was uh, that was uh, an interesting scene. That, you're talking about the scene with with him and the the hooker that he finds at uh, at the restaurant. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 he says you know to go on the bed. You start. I'll watch. Mm-hmm. And she's like, come on, join me, join me. And he's like, no. And then he just like bolts into the bathroom. And that's where I, that's uh, an interesting thing occurs in the bathroom. That was very exploitative. And uh, I, I didn't know how to, how to take it. How did, how did you take it? Do you want, no, do you want no, to tell? No, no, no one's going to watch this movie anyway. So just say, uh, <laughs> say what happens in the bathroom. He pulls, he looks, at, he looks at himself in the mirror, you know, angrily. He pulls his pants down and we cut to a shot of this guy's cock. Yes. And this guy's his package was about the size of the the package of the kid in uh, King of Comedy. Yes, it was the smallest thing in the in the world. It was inverted. Yep. So I, I didn't, and it was just it was a quick thing, and I I didn't know how to take it. I jumped off off the couch almost like what what the, what the fuck did I just see? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's it's part of that. I have no good answer for why yeah, that is I, I needed either, but, but the movie like shot in this probably real-life love motel, and yeah. the, the one thing it still does correct is you know, I, I'm, it gets the grit correctly. You know, the environments yeah. are incredibly I like pre- that depressing, yeah. and it, all it takes, it seems simple, all it takes is just take the camera to that shitty place and shoot 
Mm-hmm. Shoot, shoot, shoot a little bit of shit as cinematographer as well. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but bam, man, does it work? Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the Hong Kong streets are really a character in itself. Oh, definitely. They're a travelogue. Every time you watch a movie, it's just yeah. I, it's wonderful. But uh, speaking of uh, tra- travelogue, I mean, uh, I mentioned it briefly before, but you know, uh, after we had this insight into his uh, frustration and his uh, impotency, if you will, and uh, uh, then we just get taken around to mostly run-down love motels and the world of mm-hmm. prostitutes. It's a bit of a documentary, and the film stops dead in its track for large stretches. Right. Because it's a daily video diary where not much happens. <laughs> it's very uninteresting, and, and grit is uh, boredom in, in this case. Mm-hmm. Because the Hong Kong street vibe, again, can be captured in chilling fashion because its sense of realism is there. But right. it, it is the movie's enemy for a while. And it's also very dark. It's mostly shot at night. And uh, the, the grit doesn't come off as well at night, especially with uh, this cheap, cheap-looking film. Yeah, uh, yeah, it certainly doesn't have any uh, any any you know distinctive color. No, filters no charm. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I mean that I think that's a purpose that uh, you know came back to haunt them in a way. I mean, uh, mm. I think it, it's not due to the video transvibe. It's just a, it's a darkly lit film, but. Right. Uh, this is one case of a Hong Kong movie that when adding up the elements, they do work overall. Uh, you know, there's a ton of movies like that, especially Hong Kong action movies of this time, where let's say 80 minutes is incredibly annoying and 10 minutes has to, you know, kick-ass action. Yeah. And that to me is a classic. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's about adding up elements that work and the movies aim to deliver the core element, the commercial element. And... Hong Kong Butcher may not be, you can't argue it, argue it delivers a commercial element necessarily, but it, it delivers on its exploitation intentions. Mm-hmm. And I think the hour mark is where it intensifies and actually has rather good flow until the end of the film. Because it in, intensifies the frequency of the murders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a sense of the familiarity and connection to the scenarios from Dr. Lam and from real life, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, especially the chase uh, of, uh, of the girl. Uh, you know, the, the last victim in Dr. Lam is the last victim here, I believe. And he chases her uh, down to the uh, beach in Hong yeah. Kong Butcher and uh, actually performs you know, the necrophilia. No, not there. Or was it necrophilia on the beach there? Uh, but there, anyway, he performs some heinous act on the beach there. And that has a little bit more of a gore uh, budget moment, if you will. Yeah. Uh, because he, he does uh, kind of her leg or arm, I think. But it's, man, that that uh, actually hit me rather <laughs> rather hard. Here's where the movie works. You know, the details are were, were kind of hidden before. They are not hidden now. They are just dealt with more quickly. You know, such as the mutilation and the necrophilia, and he lambs giddy obsession with his work. Right. And uh, I think this scene uh, outside at the beach was really, it was tough. Yeah. Uh, that was tough. And uh, again, uh, this movie shares a lot of similarities with Dr. Lamb, including the score. It has mm. this eerie ambient score. Uh, I think there was a large, like, beep throughout, throughout it sometimes. And I, I mean, I, I love. I love that kind of noise. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Skinny Puppy. I'm a huge fan of early Cabaret Voltaire, where it's just analog noise. It's not. It's no. It's no song structure. It's just noise, and I'm incredibly weak for that, especially when it's grating noise. Uh, I think uh, a director like David Lynch always knew that. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch a racer head. I mean, it's filled with you know ambience. It doesn't have to be any synthesizer notes or anything. It's just the sound of industry 
sound of right. uh, factories in the background. Uh, uh, as you hear in a lot of Hong Kong movies, you know, that stock sound mm-hmm. of uh, construction sites. <laughs> you know, it, it has a certain industrial beat, and uh, yeah. and I love that as well. So it, uh, you know, it, it it overall works. Hong Kong bush. I mean, uh, it's uh, it uh, it replicates the material from real life that wasn't too old at this point, as you pointed out. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> it has puzzling possible social commentary at the top and <laughs> failure oh, yeah. at making the grit stand <laughs> out. But occasionally, a tour de force in disturbing imagery and as I summarized in my review, and a look into a truly sick mind that thankfully made a grave error eventually. Because in this movie, he gets caught. You are shown that eventually. Oh, yeah. And that's like the, the credits. The credit sequence is yeah. uh, pretty much him caught and them looking for the bodies. But um, any, more, any more thoughts of this? Uh, like, uh, this completely unknown? unknown? Um, I, I just wanted to point out like, the, 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 the uh, scene I was talking about before when they, they showed the guy's penis. I just thought... Uh, it was a cop-out because I felt that they, the filmmakers might have been saying that because this guy has such a small penis, <laughs> therefore, he was a psycho. Mm, yeah, you know? I, 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 didn't, I didn't like, like that connection because I, I figured that was such a, an extreme shot, an extreme thing to do. Mm-hmm. You, know? you, you don't see you know, male genitalia in Hong Kong movies. It's very, very rarely, I should say. Yeah. You know? And that was, that was just too extreme. I just I just felt that that was the uh, the the reason that the, the shot was there, that they were saying that you know uh, that's that, what was, I liked the, that was the root the, of his problem. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, but that, that, that's what I liked about Doctor Lamb that it had so that the character had so much going on. There's you no use to provide an answer. Yeah, yeah there, there was a lot of depth, a lot of depth, and there was a lot of stuff that you didn't know what was going on, but you can see behind his his face and and his actions that something's not fucking right with this guy yeah. you know, but what is it what, like, you can't put your finger on it and it's never is boiled down into one thing it's no, just no, no. Uh, an entire entire it was just supposed right. to be I guess it just and happened it, and, uh, even Dr. Lamb at the beginning of the movie they, they, they start off with him as a child and he's you know pulling his sister's pants down and he has like a shitty home life he's watching he's peeping on his parents you know that's I guess they're trying to you know build up some reasoning onto uh, who he becomes as a man yes and, and, a, and a killer. So I mean, that's a bit feeble, but you know, it's 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 uh, it's a typical thing. It's it's textbook, you know, uh, scenario. But uh, it's uh, out of the two movies, it's obviously very much easy to re- recommend Doctor Lamb before this. But uh, oh yes, uh, this the, this story has a movie, uh, feature movie history, as it turned out, and I think uh, we are doing a service to. To, to Hong Kong cinema in a way. I mean, I, 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 so. I, I mean, I do sound pretentious, but I really like to highlight <laughs> what is, you know, hidden, unknown, and especially if it's forgotten. This is not yeah. really forgotten. It's not really been seen at all and right. uh, known I dig at that all. Too. I, I, I'm glad you do that. I dig that. <laughs> so, uh, but Doctor Lamb is still in circulation, and uh, hope you try it out and uh, decide for yourself what what. Uh, if you accept it as a movie, and uh, or if you maybe you will turn it off immediately and just can't take it, I wouldn't blame you. But uh, do, do decide for yourself and um, and uh, experience something. You, I, I don't think many people think Hong Kong were capable of uh, making something that looked cheap on paper, like a oh, mm-hmm. serial killer movie. But had something else. Hong Kong butcher had quite something. It was cheap on film as well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> 
which is, is good, which is like, it's like anti uh, Shaw Brothers Golden Harvest, which is sometimes very polished. Yeah. So it's kind of like a guerrilla filmmaking, if you will, you know, mm-hmm. stupid term, but it was like that, and I, I, I enjoy that stuff. Yeah. I would never want the, these two films uh, remastered to perfection. I, I, <laughs> no, I, I no. think they look good in the way they are. Yeah. But uh, that's all the uh, informative lessons, kids. Now, uh, after, after the last musical break, we're going to finally wind down, relax, and talk about whatever last category-free sleazy movies we watched me and King, so be right back. Righto, so welcome back. So, we're finishing the show off with a little bit of Last Sleaze Watched, and uh, there's always uh, me and King here. We, we, we have uh, at least uh, fun titles, <laughs> mo- movie titles to talk about, but... Uh, and. Uh, uh, once that you rise an eyebrow or two I mean last week was whore and policewoman <laughs> so uh, wow what's that what is that about <laughs> what can it be about is it about a man and his dog <laughs> no it might not be uh, so what's on the plate this week uh, okay one of my last sleazy movies watch is another n- another uh, great title it's called The Raping Murderer <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and it's about it's like, the financial crisis. <laughs> yes, rape is in a take that in another context. Exactly, um, it's a 90, 1995 category three film, um, and uh, I f- have conflicting uh, views on the the director. Uh, Hong Kong Movie Database says it's directed by some dude named Lok Chi, which is his only credit, and then Hong Kong Cinema Magic says it was directed by a guy named Lam. Gam Fung, who has made previous films, and I'm kind of leaning toward Lam Gam Fung as the the sole director of this film. Um, uh, he directed a movie we called Behind the Pink Door. Have you ever seen oh, yeah. that? Yeah, I've seen yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, the, the late Pauline Chan. That's a cheap ass movie with some memorable scenes. I remember right. uh, it was a guy trying to wash off uh, VD in the shower. <laughs> I talked about that on a podcast. <laughs> and and uh, you, you can imagine the crickets and the uh, like <laughs> reactions of Stu, and rightly so. Oh, man, they hung up on you. No, no, not a very good movie, but I do remember that. I fucking remember that. Yeah, so he directed that film, and some of the actors that are in The Raping Murderer are also in that film, so I just think there's a, there's a, a bit of a connection. It doesn't matter who directed this film. It's, it's just category three sleaze, and um, it kind of pushes the limits, uh, the, the genre limits, and... Uh, and I'm, it's in terms of sex, of course. You know, and I'll, I'll get to that uh, in, in a little bit. Get to the sex. Get uh, to the sex. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, you will not. If you're looking for sex, you will not be disappointed. But um, uh, the film stars a bunch of Category 3 starlets that I'm you know, really not familiar with. Um, but looking through their, their biographies, uh, I've seen them before in other films. I just, I just can't place them. <laughs> the, the more notable actors in the film are... I know, I know you're going to love this guy. Uh, the legendary Lee Chung Ling. Ah. <laughs> yes, yes, old mushroom head. And, uh, <laughs> and um, also, Su Yam Yam. Are you familiar with Su Yam Yam? Yeah, veteran actress, uh, Shaw Brothers uh, actress, yes. yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. recently was in Pie Dog, I believe. Uh, and so. and uh, recently in The Gallants. Yes. Yes, yeah, so she's in there. She made a handful of uh, Category 3 films. Uh, back in the Shaw Brothers days, she was uh, one of their sexy starlets. So um, when she has that really big, prominent jaw, that really huge face, uh, yeah, she's she's in this briefly, and um, 
There's another actor that most people will be unfamiliar with. Uh, you'll know him, Ken. <laughs> Not by name, but you'll know him. His name is Fu YK. Uh-huh. And he, he was in a Category 3 film called Love Chaser. Right. And the final scene showed him crying over his dead girlfriend's body as a humongous fucking string of snot <laughs> dangled from his nose. Stephen Chow, you are now... You have a rival. Yes. In terms of a snot scene. Probably the best scene ever. Just, and then no one, the, the snot strand landed on the girl's face. She didn't, yeah, she didn't break. She didn't break scene. It was, it was, uh, it, was it was wonderful. I have an original laser disc of that, and I'm proud of that. <laughs> yes, you should be proud. Yeah. So, um, the, those are the, I guess, the, the notable faces to me, to me anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, incidentally, Shu, uh, Siu Yam Yam is also in Love Chaser with Fu uh, YK. That was one of the other Category Three films she made. She was like a presenter of of it, or. I know. I think she even wrote a, a Category Three film. Uh, I I think the, that that's correct. Okay. So the I guess the, the plot is not much. Not much, not much of a plot. As uh, as the film starts, uh, there's like a voiceover telling us how Hong Kong is the biggest transfer station of narcotic drugs, and they're showing you know the Bay and Hong Kong uh, Island, Chim Cha Choi. They're showing all these Hong Kong scapes, and uh, the voiceover goes on to say the Hong Kong government has set up an anti-drug division to deal with these drug traffickers. And you know, after a brief setup of uh, of tits on the screen, uh, you know, to kind of reel us in a, a bit, you know, there there's a kind of a cop versus bad guy gunfight, and it's so fucking cheesy. It's poorly edited. It's really, I mean, the guys are like twirling when they get shot. And it's, it's 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 pretty pretty crap. Do they even have a squib budget? No, there was no squibs. It was nothing. There was like not in, not even like a little smoke from the gun, like a cap gun. There was nothing. It was it was it was kind of it was kind of cheesy. So uh, you know, but. It's a cheap movie, you know. I knew that going in. I'm on board with it. I'm okay with that. You know, some some gun action and some TNA. That's hey, that's right up my alley. But uh, you know, you, you start off thinking that's going to be like this cop actioner, mm-hmm. you know, or, or like a detective or a mystery because of the raping murderer tile. There's a murderer, so uh, I I, I kind of thought that way, but I was wrong. TNA is the flavor of the fucking day. <laughs> you have no idea. So so the the story sets uh, sets up as a. Uh, Lee Chung Ling plays the commanding officer of uh, this this undercover all girl unit called Rose Action. I can't and, see uh, him he, being a serious and a stoic, stoic he, superior role. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. He's, he's, it's not a jokey performance. It's not a comedy by by any means. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of it's out of it's not not say out of his league, but it's out of his element. I want to see him being fucking silly on screen. That's that's <laughs> all I watch Lee Chung Ling movies for. That's it. And uh, yeah, that's it. Um, so. These girls are assigned to uncover a drug trafficking uh, syndicate, I guess, that spans Hong Kong to Taiwan and Japan. And uh, uh, these girls, at least one of them, has a bone to pick with uh, the evil Japanese drug lord that they're after. As uh, in a flashback, you find out that his wife, who is played by Su Yam Yam, kills this lady's husband. So she kind of has a bone to pick. Uh, and uh, I guess... That's the, the basic framework of the story. Like you know, there there is there is a storyline to follow, hmm. and um, it it feebly follows the storyline. The, the movie runs about ninety three, ninety four minutes, and uh, four that, minutes that, four minutes too long. I'm, you know what? <laughs> I'm kind of torn. I'm kind of torn. But like the the beginning gunplay scene is like the only action scene. I mean, aside from the bedroom shit in in the whole film, 
you know, the movie, like I said, the movie runs around 93, 94 minutes, and there are 10 fucking sex scenes in this film. <laughs> 10. I counted them, 10. <laughs> and nine out of the 10 are, are those, like, extended ones where you kind of have to fast forward a little bit. Yes. And they run like five minutes, they, they run like five minutes long. So, I mean, wow. if you break it down, it's nine sex scenes times five minutes each. That's like 45 minutes. <laughs> the final sex scene is maybe a little bit shorter. It's maybe two, three minutes. So that's like, let's say 47, 48 minutes of a 93-minute movie. That's fucking 50% of your movie of just naked banging in a, on a bed. You know uh, what I mean? It's, it's, cra- it's crazy. It and might I- get to... We have, an, uh, we have a proof here that there is such a thing as too much TNA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining, of, you know, of course, but that shit is... That's crazy. That's half of your movie of just, just people banging. And, you know, and sometimes, like I said before, Category 3 films have these extended sex scenes and it's nothing you haven't seen before come on mm-hmm. we're, we're all, all adults here yes. and your eyes kind of glaze over watching them and believe you know I'll, I'll admit that I fast forward some of that stuff yes you know, I mean too. I'm not in it just you know to see TNA just I have to fast forward that shit because it's just it's too much mm-hmm. it's like let's get on with it I've seen this and, before and sometimes the women are not very attractive in Ooh, these movies yeah you got the, oh god you got that right but in this film actually I, I have to say the women are attractive and the, the sex scenes even though they are extended are, are pretty damn good mm-hmm. So and um, like uh, like you said, I think uh, the last show that when you were going over what category three literally means, and you said it's kind of between an R and an NC seventeen rating. Hmm. Well, the raping murderer pushes towards the NC seventeen rating. Right. There's so much sex, and uh, some of it is obviously cut. Yes. So yeah, that's, they, they they could have put you know I, I gather they pushed the envelope really far, and the, that shit couldn't pass the censor, so they had to cut. There's like one scene where this guy is just going, going at it with a girl, and it's so abruptly cut, like it just goes to the end of the scene, and the girl's dead. <laughs> like, wait a second, wait, what happened? Time out here. He was just did, banging her, and then it's the girl's dead a second later. Did, did this wasn't a Mandarin VCD or DVD by by any chance? Uh, no, no, it was not. It was Cantonese. because because I was yeah. thinking censorship in that regard in the mainland of Taiwan, they do sometimes only show glimpses of the sex scenes and then right, cut right. to the end. No, but the, I mean the sex scenes were were pretty full on, you know. There right, was some, right. like I said, were pushing it, you know, and then they just they kind of cut that because it went a little too far, yeah. you know. Stuff that I haven't seen in other category three movies, you know. Right. <laughs> and, and and this was a shot on film. This was a, a legit film. So uh, there's also some really really great subtitling. I was about to say, do you remember any good <laughs> subtitles at least? I have seen for you. This. The bad guy is is. Is uh, I keep saying banging, but for lack of a better word, he's banging one of yeah. his uh, his his floozies, his tramps, and uh, <laughs> while they're going at it, she she says to him, "Brother Chang, I want to bite your dick off, okay?" <laughs> <laughs> so so brother Chang replies, "Sure. How are you going to live if my dick is bitten off?" <laughs> so, so she answers back, "It's so easy. I will find a more powerful guy." And then Chang shoots back, "You're daring." find another i must break you up and then he proceeds in quickening his banging thrusts and and keeps repeating break you up break you up break you up <laughs> it is just wonderful that it was is almost silly. philosophical for one moment there like hmm, biting and uh, like how are you going to do that <laughs> it is unbelievable it's it's uh, it really uh, brought a smile to my face definitely it's it's cuz the, the movie was dragging on even with the sex scenes it was too much yeah. but that that really brought a smile to my face and that that was actually funny and there's also another sex scene with uh lee chung ling of course and hey. I, I know you know ken that he was like lee chung ling without you know in a movie without getting booty you know that rarely ever happened 
It's a, it's you know. a different kind of, uh, s- s- you know, silly head in movies. He's not a Charlie Chow type of guy. He's just literally he's just an accomplished comedian, in my opinion. He's just a silly, silly guy. He can be way over the top properly. You know, mm-hmm. m- movies that, you know, you and I remember from is, is in particular, I love Miss Fox. Yeah, right. Which is just a tour de force in, you know, he's a big silly head. And, uh, yeah, he's and, like an everyman. He's not an attractive guy. He's like the yeah. short squat fellow, a weird haircut. Oh, he's the fucking cat-free Superman, fuck's sake. He's, he's, oh, you got... Oh, in yes, Temptation cat- Summary 1, that's uh, the cat-free Superman. He dreams yeah. of being the cat-free Superman. And like, along with Charlie Cho and, like, I say maybe Stuart Ong, he was, like, one of the early 90s Category 3 coxmen of, of, of the industry. You know, they always were in Category 3 films. They were always having sex with women that are way out of their league. But he was never... A, he was never... I've never seen him went venture into um, mean spirited territory. He always played kind of nice guys. Yeah. So have you seen movies where he's, he's a bad guy? No, no. Uh, this this was the only movie. Well, I, I might spoil it, but uh, I don't know how many of you are going to see this. But in this movie, he is a bad guy. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's a, it's a, a non comedic role. It's a serious role for him. And yeah, there's a, there's a twist at the end. It's 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 a good twist. I enjoyed the twist. But yeah, he he plays a a questionable guy. I'll, I'll give you that. Oh, I uh, you know I, I've seen. You know, movies with him during the last two, three years that have been like my some of my favorite category three movies because obviously they tried. And one is I love Miss Fox, which is a wonderful comedy by yeah. Stefan Yip, who did Mad Stylist, which is another good uh, category three yeah, movie. Yeah, I very really quick, enjoyed that one too. Very yeah. quirky one. Uh, where else can you see Michael Wong and Ken Chang seeing Diana together? <laughs> And I think Michael Wong plays the saxophone. <laughs> yes, he does. Always awesome. <laughs> but but also loved him in one of my favorite movies from last year, False Lady. The, yes. Uh, the uh, oh. remake of uh, Switch. Switch, uh, yeah. Like Edward Switch. He's, he, he doesn't have a huge part, uh, no. but he uh, he's wonderful. I, I, I really I really like uh, Lee Chung Ling. Uh, so I hope to see more of him and uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going to watch this movie I'm going to review this movie yeah yeah there, there's, <laughs> there's an awesome scene with Lee Chung Ling this awesome sex scene at the end it, it, I almost shit my pants laughing <laughs> so I mean like you say he's, he's, he's on a bed and he's uh, going at it with uh, his, his lady friend and he's going at it like with so much gusto like, like it's a rodeo his like head snapping back and shit. He's it was it was crazy. So he's on on the bed. He's 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 going at it from from behind, and uh, the phone rings on the nightstand next to the bed. He reaches over, picks it up, starts having a conversation, and he's still having sex with the girl. And I almost shit. He was like he was like multitasking, and I, it was it was hysterical. I left so so hard. And it's like I said, it's, it's not a comedy, and I don't think the the scene was intended to be played as a comedy. But I just when you see it, it's it almost it's almost like a slight nod or a wink toward the Category Three audience who who knows Lee Chung Ling mm-hmm. and who he is and what kind of movies he's done in the past. And then it was it was uh, so much fun. It almost sounds like he brought he, he brought his own idea to the table. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It doesn't definitely. seem so, like a guy who have to be you know told what to directed. do, otherwise he can't function. <laughs> right, right. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend this. Uh, and and, to, and and this was called again for our listeners who might have forgotten called, after this madness. It was called the raping murderer, and like I said, I'm I'm going to recommend it. And I've tried. I looked around the internet, and I can't find a copy of this anywhere. It's one of those, uh, I guess, obscure, rare titles. I did, however, uh, find it on a torrent site, and I don't remember the name of the torrent site. But like Ken said, if that's your bag and you like to download stuff, especially obscure stuff and hard to find stuff. 
uh, you you know just do a Google search or, or whatever, and I'm sure you'll you'll find the raping murderer. <laughs> yeah. uh, I so I, I, I marginally recommend it. I recommend it for people who are more like you and I, you know, not for the casual category three viewer who can you know watch Doctor Lamb and the Untold Story and Sex and Zen, mm-hmm. you know. But this is this this like goes in uh, deeper into uh, category three, which you know that's where you and I kind of hang out. Yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's the level we we uh, yes. we, uh, we we've met. You know, the low Such low level. Eyebrow, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm 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 going to bring slightly close to the table because I'm I'm uh, going to kind of cross promote while, while talking about uh, a movie called Deadly Darling, uh, and it's actually and. The reason I cross say cross promote is that now in the coming few weeks on SoGoodReviews.com, which I'm the creator and reviewer of, I'm going to focus on the IFD catalog of films. IFD, of course, the persons who made all the Cut and Splice Ninja movies, but their particular movies where uh, they uh, they released and dubbed uh, late 70s, early 80s. Taiwan exploitation movies, uh, rape revenge tr- uh, thrillers, fantasy, and, fr- and uh, yeah, essentially those genres. And I, I'm I'm really weak for that stuff in terms of IFD's history. I think it's very fascinating. They had a good eye for quality, but also that Taiwan movie history is extremely fascinating to me because it's so much forgotten. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's 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 you can't find anything. Early Taiwan, like maybe 70s, 80s, early 80s, you can't find anything. Oh, yeah, it's uh, very yeah. rare. And uh, Deadly Dawning is actually a retitle of uh, female director Yang Xia Yun's 1981 rape revenge thriller The Lady Avenger. And mm-hmm. uh, it was released intact without any footage spliced in by IFD. Although I'm convinced a ninja plot could have fit alongside the rape revenge theme. <laughs> because they really didn't care, IFD, if they had a melodrama, you can fit Richard Harrison into that. In, you know, the ninjas at uh, on the sides doing something else that isn't related to anything in the original movie. <laughs> but uh, uh, both the director and star, and I love this woman. I think she is the one of the sexiest women on film. Uh, her Cantonese name, I think, is Luk Xiu Fan, but uh, it's Liu Xiaofen is uh, the uh, uh, Mandarin pronunciation. She she's in Rose, I believe, with Yun Biu. Uh, but uh, she's in uh, very game actors in, in a lot of Taiwan movies, including ones that have turned up in the IFD catalog. She's uh, she's been credited as um, Fonda Lin in the IFD, all westernized, partly made up credits, because they they were basically always made up. I mean, Godfrey Ho is the production designer of Deadly Darling, which is not true. <laughs> you know, he didn't have anything to do with it. They they just put the western style names, but kept the directing credits to uh, the actual director they, they, they just renamed it to Karen Yang so <laughs> so they, they respected it in that way but they made up every, everything else in the credits to sell internationally uh, another movie that IFD acquired that they uh, she directed and looks you found appeared in was uh, Pink Force Warriors which original title was w- Women Warriors of Kinmen which is kind of a shitty movie it's a training movie it's an army training movie it doesn't have any war it's just a training movie Uh, a bit of a comedy but also a training movie but I absolutely think Luke Siofan is one of the sexiest actresses out there and uh, she's she's a very good actress too and a game actress she's despite being very young uh, young looking and all that in 1990 she played Maggie Chung's mother in Song of the Exile and Hoy's Song of the Exile which is a very good performance she's made up quite perfectly without any 
uh, you know, extensive uh, makeup or anything, uh, uh, prosthetic makeup. She's just made up a little bit and uh, in, appear in appearance and her clothes fit, you know, the slightly older age she's in. And she she's absolutely wonderful. So it looks you fun. Just a great, great, great actors. And uh, oh, oh, by the way, I got to mention, she, she was inserted into one of those cut and paste movies, uh, Inferno Thunderbolt. <laughs> Which was not a ninja movie. They had a Thunderbolt tear, I see, where everything was Thunderbolt. They had, they had ninja Thunderbolt, of course, but Cobra Thunderbolt and, and Majestic Thunderbolt. The wonderful Majestic Thunderbolt. Starring Richard Harrison. Uh, but the original movie under, underneath that, I found out what it was. It was this really cool movie called The Anger which uh, was available on VCD on Ocean Shores but uh, nowadays you can't really find it there so they, they even though they cut and pasted the movies they acquired uh, they they found out some really cool stuff and Taiwan is one of those premium places for that mm-hmm. The Lady Avenger Deadly Darling was actually highlighted uh, or rather played alongside the documentary Taiwan Black Movies at yeah. the various film festivals and I want to see that documentary because it's unsubtitled fuck I know it's killing me because this like, young director, he's uh, younger than you and me, fuck's sake, he wanted to highlight this period from 1979 to 1983. And he'd had interviews with uh, Yang Chia Yun, the director, Luke Xiu Fan, and Chu Ping, the yeah, director that, yeah. of uh, Island of Fire and Golden Queen's Commando, which was another movie acquired by IFD and just dubbed. Uh, it's a wonderful movie. Uh, also, Pink Force Commando is, um, uh, was acquired by IFD. But... So go, going back to the Deadly Dawning, it's actually, I, I don't think it would have been rated Category 3, but it's still pretty much um, a gritty, uh, harsh rape revenge thriller. And it has quite a lot of on-the-nose social commentary, as, as I'll explain when I go to, into the plot, you'll get why. And huge melodrama, but it's actually not, it's very, very valid social commentary, I think. It's ambitious. And that makes the basic second half of the movie that has all the revenge set pieces kind of less involving it doesn't seem to want to uh, you know feel related to the first half it has some iconic imagery but it has distinctly different halves in in, in a sense but the director Yang comes through with uh, you know this uh, really fine genre piece where she she has a neat perspective in terms of how how hard you can push and how hard you you know how different you can push, how different you can be, be extreme, and uh, I'll, I'll go over the plot now. Uh, it shows early on that this actress Carol, she she's an actress in commercials, and this is not the Luke Sufan's character. She she is raped, but she can't bring her rapist to justice because he he is um he has uh, wealthy friends and has uh, bribed the media and uh, <laughs> uh, ultimately is um, not uh, not brought to justice. So the only person who believes this actress Carol is uh, the character of Wendy played by uh, Lux Yufan who refuses to give up finding out the truth and uh, bringing this guy to justice uh, once the case is closed and in a cruel case of irony she falls victim to a rape by five men herself and is just destroyed emotionally and abandoned by her fiance who just wants to save face because he's, he's humiliated, humiliated that she's been raped which is very terrible and bleak so of course she can only go on revenge. So uh, that's a genre staple, if you will. So, so again, director Yang, she seems to channel a Taiwan at the time. This is a 1981 movie where products are sold through sex. This is of course common today, and those being you know in these commercials, being the picture of these products, are objects of desire. Therefore, and they 
the society basically says that they have themselves to blame if men are attracted to the point where the rapist and sadist comes out. It's absolutely horrible, but this is the bleak view of the world that is painted. Mm. And But it's probably not unfair, because unfortunately the world is cynical in this way. Uh, really unfortunately. I think this is a theme of the podcast, that reality is, is not nice. And you, know, you, have to, you have to take it through a movie sometimes. Um, so, and also the way wealth can get you out of any hole becomes rather distressing sight of a Carol sub story because she actually kills herself. Or rather, it's a bit of a mystery. She, she dies. She might have committed suicide. She might have been killed by a rapist. And uh, there are various scenes of rape and violence, but Young gets her effect across by doing less than you might think. And less actually has to do with the fact that there's almost 0% nudity in the film. Mm. It's actually kind of accidental nudity by Luke Siofana, I think, in her shower scene. I don't think she was supposed to show anything, but it kind of slipped a little bit. And uh, and the first rape um, at the beginning of the film uh, by this uh, guy of Carol's character, it doesn't go on for long, but the way you know it becomes disturbing to me is he he briefly like he follows her to uh, chases her to a uh, little beach and holds her head under water and violates her on the shore there and it doesn't last for more than maybe a minute but it's it's uh, the camera like this beautiful widescreen you know camera you know stays on that moment distant but stays on that moment and I mean it, it was a different feel to, <laughs> to a rape scene compared to a lot of other movies uh, we watch uh, definitely. So, so more distressing is really the aftermath of, of the uh, of it all. Again, with the court case, but also later when Lux Yufan's character is uh, is raped. The aftermath is horrific because people are just um, abandoning the people who are being violated because it's is that is that uh, notion of you have yourself to blame. I've lost face because you've been violated, mm-hmm. and it's absolutely horrible to to think that and. Uh, and this effect comes through obviously in uh, Lux fans performance as well because she, she uh, her rape scene is not about it's more about the chase you know they, they chase her in this, uh, on this uh, construction site like the bottom floor of the construction site with a lot of water muddy water there and, uh, and they do this you know this might sound funny but they, the most humi- humiliating f- side of this scene is that doesn't have any rape as I said they use her as a you know a skipping rope the, the, these five drunk men yeah they use her as a skipping rope oh uh, god and it is oh, it's absolutely horrific and then the movie cuts to afterwards she's just walking you know, dead in the face mm. and that's all you kind of need to know and uh, completely lost and blank in her entire body and it speaks volumes and, and looks you find is you know really on board with this she's a great actress when doing little you know it's all in the face and again it's a bit of a shame that the second half is merely a revenge set piece of the, uh, of the other although they're great because uh, <laughs> you know she uh, she goes to uh, like undercover at a slaughterhouse where one of the rapists uh, works so she attacks this guy at the slaughterhouse in a fairly gory scene and uh, she uses her she goes to gambling den and uh, uses her sexiness in her body to lure in this other rapist and uh, also chases one down in the woods a really um, you know cruel and sadistic in a cruel and sadistic way as well so really it's the most iconic look looks through the film she has this headband on and uh, you know I don't know if it's 
right to say hunting gear but uh, if you see a still from that uh, scene uh, I will put it up in my review you'll, you'll get that it's pretty much an iconic image uh, something maybe the likes of Quentin Tarantino once saw and put somewhere in Kill Bill <laughs> oh cool cool uh, it's not uh, it's, it's not with any eye patch or anything that, but uh, <laughs> so and I an unusual amount of depth comes through without the movie being pretentious, but I'm kind of just slightly sad that that it feels like two movies, two pretty good movies, two different ones. But mm-hmm. uh, it's a, I, I loved highlighting this because IFD and Joseph Lai, head of ID, IFD, they clearly knew to look for quality. They saw quality in this, and that's my aim for this series of reviews, maybe four or five reviews of different movies to show that IFD was more than just the ninjas. Mm-hmm. Definitely uh, more than just, just the ninjas. I, I'm familiar with Joseph Lai and what IFD does, so I'm, I'm looking forward to these reviews because I have not seen these movies and I don't know anything about these movies. And the first one I did was Wolf and Ninja, which is a retitle of Wolf Devil Woman. This, right, I've uh, seen Wolf Devil Woman. Yeah, so they, they released yeah. that intact as well. Just a new oh. dub on it, not the Ocean Shores shitty dub. But yeah, I saw the dub. Ocean Shores, though, yeah. A very annoying dub. But uh, <laughs> that, and I will also look at Girl with a Gun, which was uh, retitled to Fury in Red and released oh, okay. intact. The okay. uh, Alan Tam movie. I think it's pretty much either a rip-off or a faithful remake of uh, Miss 45. The, uh, uh, the I was going to mention that during your review of, of this, this uh, last movie, uh-huh. it sounded, uh, when I hear rape revenge and a lone woman, you know, seeking revenge, you know, using sex to like Lauren people, mm-hmm. I, I think of Miss 45. Maybe it is when I, when I actually see Miss 45, which I will before Fury in Red. Uh, maybe oh, I will actually connect it a lot to Deadly Darling as well. Cool. Uh, but uh, it's a very good movie and I, I'm fortunate enough to own widescreen copies of some of these uh, they were, were released on either Greek tape or Japanese tape they actually managed to negotiate themselves widescreen sources and uh, it makes all it makes all the difference actually when you can see the movie as close as intended as possible especially since these were you know really widescreen movies like scope movies uh, some of these so th- that makes a difference to, to me and uh uh, some of the full effect comes through, and I, I love the look of, you know, really like wide letterbox. That's yeah, just cool yeah. to me. So, yeah. Uh, for category three movies, not necessarily a wide wide screen is not always a necessary. I'll take thing. what I can get. Exactly, you yeah. take what you can get. But uh, that pretty much runs runs off a long evening of podcasting, and uh, it's yeah. uh, it's exhausting because the movies we've talked about are exhausting in their own respective way. Um, and, uh, and I hope you all enjoyed it uh, briefly again sogoodreviews.com is my site where I write uh, all my written reviews Lisa K video you have the video reviews and I'm on Twitter at sogoodreviews for Podcast on Fire contact us if you have any feedback on our forums uh, podcastonfire slash forum podcastonfire.com slash forum and our mail is podcastonfire at googlemail.com. We're on Facebook. Type in Podcast on Fire in the little search box and uh, interact with us and uh, join the forum. We're a bunch of friendly people, as uh, King has Very uh, friendly, yes. Very friendly. Encountered. Until week two of your stay at the forum. Then we'll turn, then we'll turn mean. <laughs> so uh, go ahead and plug your blog again. All right. The blog is Bullets Over Chinatown, and you can find it at inthemoodforguaylo.blogspot.com. Guaylo is G-W-A-I-L-O. 
and in the future charliechow.com will be uh, will be uh, king's uh, king's ah, uh, domain that's, that's well. a good idea yeah that's a good idea it's simpler yeah yeah just a constant picture of charlie like <laughs> yeah. that's all the content i'm ever going to put up because that says it all uh. right on. so i've been one of your hosts stacy k and i am king who 